No song. No song. <laughs> We're just going to go straight into it. We're going to do I'll, it different. I'll be honest. I'll, I'll <laughs> totally be honest. There's been, I think, two people that have said, I'm never singing. I don't care. Like, I won't sing. So now you're number three is what it is, right? I think it's the upper echelon of your guests. I <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you're three of 200 and something <laughs> plus, right? So, Isa, so thank you so much for being on the show. I mean, we bumped into each other here at VentureX. You got an office here. I do. So uh, how long have you been here at the office? Uh, this particular office, I've been here for about like four or five months. Okay. Yeah, I have like a typical law chamber sort of thing in... Uh, downtown Oakville and a couple other locations in Mississauga and Toronto, but it just, uh, VentureX hits, hits a little bit different. It's a little, it's, a, it's, it's comfy. Yeah. It's very, very comfy. Yeah. I like, I like being around other businesses that are kind of, kind of have that ambition. Yeah. Being someone who represents startups. Yeah. And, yeah, you know, yeah. Like it's just a fun environment well, to be in. You said something legal chamber. What is, what's the legal chamber office? What is that? <laughs> yeah. Law <laughs> chambers. They're, uh, they're, they're, they're special offices for lawyers, I guess. <laughs> okay, that's what they're called? Yeah, they're called law chambers. Okay. Um, lawyers are the ones who rent it out. You have a legal practice or you're a paralegal. Oh, okay, I got it now. Yeah, so I you're totally basically understand. surrounded by our own kind. Got um, which it. Which is always good. Got it. All um, right. So, so if anybody understands that, we're actually going to talk a little bit of law, law about your yeah. background, where you came from, and then even before off mic, you kind of popped your head in because I got here a little bit earlier and you just mentioned something about the new vaccine, there's something going on yeah. with the legal process sure. and all this stuff. So we're going to talk about that. But let me just get the deets out there for Isa. So how do you pronounce it? the law company? Uh, Regalia. 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 Law. Regalia. Yeah. Okay, Regalia, Regalia Law. Your lawyer, www.regalialaw.com. And you can reach him at Isa, which is E-S-S-A at uh, regalialaw.com. Two years. Yeah. How do you like being a lawyer? Oh, it's good. It's good. <laughs> I was in, uh, so yeah, I, I graduated U Ottawa common law program. And, uh, then I went to article for a sports and entertainment law firm. So that was super fun. How does, uh, how long is articling like that you got to do it for? Uh, I think it's like 10 months or a year or something. Well, that's like it. That. I thought it was longer than yeah, that. Yeah, no. Okay. It's not that, it's not, All right. It's not super long. Yeah. So, and then after that, I decided to try out the finance industry. So I went and worked for an investment broker dealer. I was headed down to Chicago, uh, decided, well, actually, I didn't decide. The pandemic decided to shut down the borders. And, so and the keep you here. Yeah, it kind of kept me here. And the companies are like, listen, we'd love to have you, but we don't know what's going on with the borders and stuff. Yeah. We got a team up in Montreal. Why don't you go join them? So uh, I went up there, worked there for a year, then came back and started my own private practice. Out of two years? So law school... Sports and entertainment, yeah, and then year there. investments. I like a year and a half now ish on the Canadian private. side. Yeah. Okay. okay. All right. Any yeah. big names you can drop or something like that, or nothing, or uh, nothing. Do I want to? No, that's, that's true. <laughs> no, no, you got a good point. You got a good point. No, no, no. As long as you were in that world, and I can only assume that's a very interesting world to begin with, yeah. because you're dealing with, uh, I guess, uh, a, a very colorful cast of characters. Yeah, for sure. Just I, I <laughs> love working with startups. I think that the, to the cream of the crop, it's just fun. So much ambition, and you know, the entrepreneurs just, you know, they they go for the stars, right? But yeah, I obviously have to represent larger companies. Can't do all startups because, you know, not all of them succeed. Yep. That's the reality of the game. But um, yeah, I think the pace of private practice just suits me right now. You know, do a do lot of lawyers go that route or do they prefer to kind of work for a bigger corporation? Yeah, everyone's got a little bit of a different um, different take on it. It's always good to to work for a firm. 
you know, get that kind of experience. Some guys go larger firms, some people go medium, you know, some go straight solo like me. I did, I mean, I guess the firm I worked with was a, it's a multi-billion dollar company. Okay. So I was working with their compliance department work with investment regulations in Canada. I'm not going to bore you to death with the details, but yeah, so they're, they're all over the world. So I got the feel of being part of a larger company. And yeah, I think I just like the intimacy of, you know, working directly with clients rather than, you know, working at the institutional level as of right now. I mean, that could change in the future. So I, I want to ask you, because we'll get right into it, but I do want to ask you, do you, do, are you guys like, do you watch the, the lawyer or the law-based movies or the TV shows <laughs> and kind of roll your eyes? Or are you like the construction people that look at the, the, the representation that we see on HGTV and just roll our eyes? Or do you guys look at it and go, that's actually not a bad show. That's a mer- kind of a realistic show or yeah. not. What, what's the story behind all yeah. those kinds I'm gonna, of things? I'm going to answer that and I'm going to shoot one right back at you. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I think we do. We do look at certain certain shows and be like, ah, that, that'll never happen. Or like, <laughs> how the hell could you do that? Like, that's, that's crazy. You'll get disbarred sort of thing, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, but then you look at other things that um, you're like, oh, you know what? That was actually a pretty good representation of what actually goes on, right? I think like sometimes, you know, trial elements, okay. like they kind of are like the movies sometimes when you try to raise an objection, when you have to get up, things like that. That stuff is super interesting. I'm not a trial lawyer, but like I've been to trial a couple of times, so I can say like, okay, yeah, you know, that does happen. Yep. Like that will absolutely never happen, right? I remember I think I was watching watching Suits, and they're like, yeah, we're just going to send this down to contracts. I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> <laughs> and that's not how it works. No. I was like, cool. All right. Um, yeah. I don't. I don't know how many law firms have dedicated quote unquote contract departments, but um, I know there are. There's, there's some firms that have like document review, but contracts specifically as an area of law, I, I've never, never seen that personally. And so yeah, and, and our first year contracts law professor, he thought that was hilarious. So yeah, we do do that. Uh, back to you, HGTV. Yeah. I don't know what's real or not anymore. Like, so you, you seen it, you watch it. Yeah, yeah, my wife's addicted. Oh, so she, yeah, and, and it's basically, it's considered like construction porn. You, you watch something that you can't necessarily have, really? and they paint a picture of an unrealistic renovation. Because if you notice, they never talk about numbers. No. They never give you an inkling of what this possibly could cost, but yet they're kind of chomping at the bits of showing you what you potentially can have. Yeah. But it's always always done through the designer, I guess, angle. It's never done through the construction side. And it's always done in in a way where they'll get the real people doing the work and then everybody gets out and then somebody else would take the credit for the work that was being done, which is goes back to the performance of things. Right. All I've ever, and, and everyone knows that listening to the show here, I mean, in my years of being in construction and me coming from the film business, I was approached by so many producers to get on TV and right. do a show. But I, all I ever asked was one simple question. I just want a realistic representation of the construction industry. And that's something that you can't say to these and people. What, is it, what does that look like? What is it? It's what we go through on a daily basis. Yeah. So there is so much humor, inspiration, community. Right. It's a brotherhood, a sisterhood. 100%. It's kind of like everyone kind of has each other's back. Mm-hmm. Everybody is striving to do the best work that they can. And, and I mean, honestly, I'm talking about the top 10% that really care about the industry. Yeah. And then you've got the other ones that just punch the clock and just want to get the job done. Right. Like with HGTV, like I've had straightforward producers just in my face tell me, Nobody wants to watch that. Mm. They don't care about that. So we don't want to see it. And I'm like, I go back to the argument back in the 70s. Nobody wanted to watch a science fiction movie until Star Wars came yeah. out. 
then everybody wanted to watch a science uh-huh. fiction movie. And you saw that with history where there was a rash of science fiction movies after that because mm-hmm. it was so successful. So until you portray a realistic representation of renovations mm-hmm. and present it to the audience, you won't know. The current representation is you have the designer come in, be like, oh, that wall needs to go. We're going to combine this room. We're going to take this bathroom, turn it upside down, and it's going to be the bathroom of your dreams. Yep. But that's it. Then, then you see like the occasional contractor like, ah, I don't know if we could do this. Maybe, Maybe we can't. We can't. Maybe that's we a load can. bearing. Yeah. <laughs> like certain key words are coming <laughs> load, up. The load bearing. Yeah, the load bearing wall, right? <laughs> and, 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 and anybody that's in the industry understands how easy that is because we have the experience that's attached to it. Mm-hmm. And versus people that are on TV that are the host, they don't have the experience to it. They don't even understand it. So, I mean, there's plenty of jokes out there with the property brothers doing spot bonding with their tile which mm-hmm. is not what you're supposed to do so then anybody mm-hmm. who sees it and what's that spot exactly? bonding is when you take let's say you take a tile that's whatever 12 inch by 24 inch and right. you just put blobs of thin set on the back of it and you just squish it in okay anybody that's in the industry knows that depending on the tile you have to get a minimum of 80 percent coverage when you put six globs of mud yeah. on the back of a tile and you squeeze it you're not getting 80 percent minimum 80 <laughs> percent so you're going to have voids and voids hap- are, are negative because mm-hmm. If you by chance slip and nick it with the hairdryer or with something, you know, yeah. your ring or something like that, that void will crack the tile. No way. And that's exactly what happens. <laughs> so you get an unprofessional person presenting the professional world, and we're on the sidelines going, you're an idiot. You shouldn't be doing that's that. That's a complete misrepresentation of that's what That's what I keep on is. saying. I want a, <laughs> a proper representation. So that's where it is. So, I mean, like... I used to be a fan of all the legal dramas, and I would get mm-hmm. a kick out of watching Boston Legal and Suits and all this oh, other it's stuff. Super exciting! But it's 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 creative at that point. How yeah. realistic it is! I mean, there's certain things I would look at, it and I was going, "That's that's come oh, on, no. man!" Like, like you'd, you'd have these <laughs> sort of like montages of yes. like these guys going through research, right? When in reality, it's like probably like eight hours of research, and you're probably talking for like 20, 25 minutes, brokering a deal after the meeting, right? Yeah. But the montage show is like one minute of like all night research coolness <laughs> all coolness <laughs> right? i know i know and then you go to the meeting and the meeting is like 30 minutes or something like that right um i gotta yeah. ask you why law why did you choose law me yeah oh yeah fantastic question that's good i should probably revisit this every now and again <laughs> <laughs> how young are you man <laughs> yeah it's um how young are you uh, how am I? Thirty years young? Oh man, you're still a kid. <laughs> so okay, so two years, and then you got your own private. And I, yeah, I really got to ask you, like, why law? Why did you choose law? Yeah, I think um, yeah, it was an interesting. I just so well. First of all, I want to say that I had not watched any legal drama prior to going to law school, right? And I know there are people that make decisions based on that. I thought. And they come to this law school and then they come to the practice law and they kind of regret it. I don't think you should. Because be it's not the same. No, yeah. no, no, it never is. Um, you shouldn't be making life decisions based on what you see on TV, right? Um, <laughs> and like legal dramas are very sexy. Like, let's be real. Yeah. They, they really are. It's designed that way. Absolutely. It wouldn't make good for TV, for good TV anyway, in my yeah. view. Yeah, no, for me personally, um, yeah, I guess I just wanted to get into, I've, always, I've wanted to be a lawyer from a very young age. I don't want to say that I liked arguing or any of those sort of things. I did like, you know, the nature of the argument, but I think that only applies to like trial lawyers, right? Like people who actually go to court and make those kind of arguments in front of tribunals and things like that. For me, I just, I was always interested in the law, right? And I kind of got to deal with that in my undergrad. I did legal philosophy. So I kind of got to deal with some of the legal thinkers and the minds. I was like, oh, this is fascinating. I wonder how it affects society sort of thing. Then I went to, to law school 
yeah, to, to actually be a lawyer, I always thought that lawyers have, they're in a very unique position, right? I guess one line answer, I, I'll give you one line answer for it. I wanted to, to be able to put, and I don't think there's anything wrong with me saying this, I think I wanted to put food on the table for my family, mm-hmm. but also be able to look at myself in the face at the end of the day saying, okay, you did a good day's work, right? Can all lawyers say that? that I was just about to say Not that. Not necessarily, right? Yeah. Um, you guys again, have a lot of like, there's a lot of negativity, I guess, but yeah. it's not necessarily your segment as much as it is the trial <laughs> lawyers. There's a lot of negativity. Well, I mean, you start getting into that kind of, uh, I guess, image of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. You know, some people, they end up representing companies or representing you know, clients that perhaps they're not thrilled about, right? And that's a difficult thing about being a lawyer. You have to be able to put those emotions aside sometimes. I'm in a position where if I don't feel like I want to represent you, I don't feel like you stand with the principles or ideals that I think are representative of our firm, I don't necessarily have to, right? And I think that aids your representation. If you're ever in a point where you feel like your representation would be encumbered, I think you start questioning, like, listen, should I really? Unless there's a legitimate access to justice issue, and I, there's a few rules about this. But to your point about trial lawyers, I have, I have a funny, funny story about this firm yeah, sure. I interviewed with. We went, I, I had, I think this was the second round of interviews. I was interviewing for an articling position with that particular firm. And the litigation lawyer and the corporate lawyer were interviewing. It was a mid-sized firm. I think about like something like 15 or 20 lawyers. <laughs> the corporate lawyer and I, we hit it off. We're, we're doing great. You know, he shakes my hand. He's like, hey, I can't wait to see you again. You know, this is fantastic. I'm so happy. I'm like, yeah, it was a pleasure. You know, <laughs> see you. He leaves the room. He has to run to a client meeting. I'm still talking to the litigation lawyer. The litigation lawyer is talking to me. And I had a little bit of a career before this, right? Before going to law school. And he's, he looked at my resume, he looked at me, he's like, why? Why do you want to become a lawyer? <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? Like, I just I enjoy Where you're coming from. Yeah. And I was like, you know, it's just a good transition. I enjoy, you know, the practice of law. It looks really cool. I've enjoyed it. He's like, I hate my life. I hate it every day. In an, starts, in an interview. In an interview. He starts telling you that. He tell, he's telling me that. He's older pro- guy or? Oh, no, he's older. He was like 10 years older than me. Okay. Like All right. Ten years of practice or something like that. Like wow. season, like seven, six years. Of so ten years of litigation, of trial litigation. Yeah, yeah. So in the interview, he's telling me he's like, I hate it. If I could go back, turn turn the clock back, and say I never wanted to become a lawyer, I don't want to become a lawyer, I, I'd never do it again. Now, imagine like you've got the starry-eyed articling student, right? Yeah. Like, ready to, to kind of take on the world. And, and you're then, hearing this. You're hearing this. How did you feel here in terrified? This? <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> like, how does that put you? Like, put your career path in perspective. Yeah. I'm like, oh my god. He's like, I can't take a vacation like without clients calling me. I was like, in my head, I'm I'm an optimist, right? But I think like he looked so dejected. I I, I didn't even know if I wanted to work at the, that firm anymore. Just based on that. <laughs> just, just based on that, right? Because like, I mean, look. I think your perspective of life is very, you know, everyone's got a subjective way of how they process things. Yeah. I'm an optimist, right? A realistic optimist. But I always try to think the best of things. And that was, in my mind, I just think he ended up, you know, stuck in the situation, I guess. Or maybe he felt stuck. And maybe it was just like a, a lapse of judgment on his part where he thought <laughs> this is sort of a good idea to have this conversation. <laughs> um but yeah, no, you don't do that with juniors. Like you don't be all like, listen, I but, hate but my did life. But but did you did you not think to yourself that he actually put himself in that situation? Well, I think maybe maybe the his expectations were different. Right? Yeah. Because I I know 
right, as a lawyer, turning off is very difficult, right? It, it just it's the reality of it's a client's based, service based industry. You know, you have to be available to the client. Emotional based. Massive, right? particularly <laughs> in litigation. Yeah. It's emotionally draining. Yeah. Right. Everyone's fighting every yes. day. Yes. Yes. Right. So if you're a litigation lawyer, you're fighting for people. Some, by the way, some litigation lawyers are absolutely phenomenal. Very centered. Very down to earth. Understand how to manage all of it. I have a friend. We went to law school together. Uh, he is nothing can phase him, right? Nothing, just nothing bothers him, right? And he he is full time litigation lawyer. Is that not right? part of the process when you're on the other side, representing your client to somebody else, either defending or opposing? And is that not part of the situation where you can't? It's, it's poker. Yeah. Is it not poker? Like you can't really reveal your whole your cards, right? Yeah, of course. And then. Every, every lawyer is different. Some lawyers become very emotionally involved, right? Uh. Um, understandably so, right? There's some very serious, serious issues. There's some great litigators out there that are able to sort of, not necessarily divorce the emotion of it, but be able to sort of center themselves in a way that they can represent their clients without getting overly involved in the positions that they take, right? Um, they set the limits, they're like this, and this is what we're allowed to say, this is what we're not allowed to say you know, deal with it, very good at it. But the other, the th what, I'm, what I'm referring to specifically is the stress of it, Yeah. right? Because you're always fighting for someone, against someone, it, it, it does get, litigation lawyers have a very high turnover rate as well. Can I can imagine. I, I saw a stat on that. And they also contribute to quite a high suicidal. Um, There's, so unfortunately there is, um, I shouldn't say unfortunately, I, I'll say, I'll say there is, a, a recognized issue of depression in the legal industry and mental yep. health issues, anxiety, yeah. depression, things like that. And I think we need to, and the law society has realized that we need to start having conversations around that because historically I think it's taboo, right? You don't talk about it. It's funny. Okay. And I, and I want everybody that's listening because I predominantly have tradespeople listen to this show, but I do sure. have uh, the growing population of homeowners listens to this of show course. because they've been learning a lot of insight about our world because we've been very true to what the construction life is really all about. And I find it really ironic that you're talking about that right now. And I get the sense that I guess the legal business is more of a masculine, tough industry. Yeah, the, which which is frowned upon, like mental yeah. and depression and stress and and when people talk about stress, I don't even consider the word stress anymore. Mm -hmm. I actually have changed it to loss of life. Oh, really? It takes That's life good. away from you. Yeah. And the reason that I wanted to have this conversation with you because yeah. we're going to get into a bunch of stuff sure. that you're focusing more on corporate and and other parts of the 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 industry yeah. that are not directly related to. The, the renovator out there. But the thing mm -hmm. is that if you're in construction, what I quickly learned in my 14 years of being in this industry, at some point you're going to have a conversation with a litigator. Mm -hmm. You're going to speak oh, to a paralegal, a law, a, Somehow, a firm, some, a, way. Yeah, some way, some mm -hmm. fashion, something. You have to have that conversation anyway to start your contracts. Mm -hmm. You have to have your contracts in line and properly mm -hmm. done and get them all ready. And then if there is a dispute, you got to go down that road. Yeah. So it's really, really scary. Some, some litigators. So you, the cool thing is, and I think, you know, if there are lawyers listening to this, this is great. Anyone, this, I think this applies to anyone in any industry, but I think it's never too late to make a switch. That's my opinion. 100%. I agree. I think I think you can always make that switch. You just have to, you know, do do a little bit of research into what you want to do. You know, understand what you enjoy and be willing to make that. There are lawyers that, you know, move from litigation to, to corporate law, right? And vice versa. Maybe they just wanted to make that switch. I think corporate litigators make fantastic corporate lawyers down the road yeah. because they've been in court. 
they know what works in the contracts. They've seen it. They've battle tested it. Yeah. You know, they understand exactly what will hold up what the judge will say. And as a result of that, they become a better corporate lawyer because of that. Yeah. Um, I I could totally see that. Yeah. And I was speaking to one of my mentors about that as well. Yeah. That very is, that very much is a thing. To your point, interesting enough, homeowners as well being a, a part of your growing audience, did you... What are, what are your thoughts? I don't know if you heard about the Blackstone Private Equity Group coming to Toronto. Yeah, and I, and I mean, okay, so we can start talking, some people can start talking conspiracy and all this other crap and whatever, but mm. there is something going on, and we know as of today, I just got the news and paying attention, is that crypto got hit hard, Yeah. right? Like, hard, it's yeah. down, right? Yeah. Which is insane, and all the cryptocurrencies have been affected by it, but yeah, so Black is coming in and they're mm-hmm. gobbling up a bunch of real estate and the, and the theory behind that is that they're gobbling it all up so then they can turn around and try to sell it at a higher price where we can't afford it, so now we're all monkeys, I guess, <laughs> being stuck in the same situation, so yeah. There's a lot of interesting things that are going on. Why do you bring that up right now? No, just because you mentioned homeowners and I just I just read about well, it. Well, there is that whole, I mean, I've had so many people on the show before and recently I had Bethany King on the show and she's a real estate agent and, mm-hmm. and she brought up an argument on the show mm-hmm. that I didn't agree with and actually a lot of people reached out to me with DMs talking about it. It's how yeah. she feels that the Gen Z of today mm-hmm. has it the hardest ever in history. Mm-hmm. And I just said, oh, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, you know, I'm thinking about World War One, World War Two, and <laughs> what people went through, That's and all. It, it, and I'm like, but then her argument was the cost of living and the cost and your income, right? Like, sure. like what you have to pay for a house nowadays. Sure. Toronto yeah. right now is at 1.2 for an average house. Right. I get it. You're making maybe 60k per year. That yeah. spread is too great. Yeah. I understand. It's not it. reflective, right? But the thing is, you're also dealing with a generation, which she said on the mic. She just uh, expressed. Um, they have no purpose. They don't see an end. Mm-hmm. That whole generation doesn't think that the world's going to be around when they get older. Yeah. So they don't have an objective. They don't mm-hmm. have any positive kind of confidence to contribute. Yeah. So they and and it's the first generation in society that is renting everything. Yeah. So they're buying into subscription base. Mm-hmm. They're taking Ubers, they're ordering food. They're doing all that stuff, right? Yeah. Which is an interesting dynamic, but that's all expensive. Mm-hmm. So you're contributing to, you're making whatever, 60K. Yeah. You're contributing to your loss of income. Mm-hmm. Now you can't afford the home. So is it really their fault or is it is it the inflation? Is it our leaders? Is it a bunch of everything, just a perfect yeah. storm happening? So there's a lot of interesting things going on. And then we've got, you know, the construction industry is slightly being attacked, I guess, by mm-hmm. politicians saying that we're not building fast enough. <laughs> you know, you, you probably saw that in the news recently where they're talking about we should be building X amount of homes now yeah. because we've got X amount of people coming into the country. And I'm like, yeah, but you're building homes from builders that are charging these astronomical prices. Yeah. So what's the point at that? You know, I don't understand that point. Yeah, a lot of people don't understand the optics that kind of, go into you know not just contractors developers and all of yeah that, all of that right everything lo- it's not just like oh let's build a house okay great hire this company no it doesn't work like that there's a lot of moving parts right i can appreciate that i don't know the intricacies of it but i can appreciate it yeah it is it's interesting there's also some people who are kind of freaking out about blackstones coming in because they're, they're all like um oh that that's ne- it's going to be an impending crash in the canadian market but are and we not preparing for that for the longest little we while? Have. We right? have. But I think, I think, and I, I don't know, but I think what's interesting is the fact that they've always been here. Yeah. It's just they, they kind of had a head office here. 
But I think the, there's been sentiment that, they're oh, they're just going to wait for this crash to happen. They're going to buy out the foreclosed houses for people who are going to default on their rent. Yep. And as a result of that, they're going to become, you know, I think they're one of the largest corporate landlords in America. Yep. And I think they they might become that in Canada as well. I'm sure they have a plan. I, I don't know what that is, but it all comes down to how, you know, how the Bank of Canada decides to battle this interest, right? Because we saw a 0.5% increase yep. in the last And we're expected to see four more. I, I, yeah. This uh, year. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm banking at least two to three, but they say maybe I heard four. three, and then someone else told me possibly a fourth one. And I'm like, man, seven months, four increases? Yeah. Like, that's kind of... And you got to wonder. Okay, yeah. so these people who bought during the pandemic, and what was the rate of interest? Was it variable? If it's a variable rate, that changes, right? And all of a sudden, it's not 1.5. I'm just going to assume most people were going into variables and mm -hmm. not fixed. Yeah. And now all of this is affecting that variable. Huge. Like dramatically. If you were already on the cusp of owning a house mm -hmm. and you're just making, because I mean, the rule of thumb is you're supposed to at least have six months to ideally a year mm -hmm. of savings just in case if something happens. Yeah. I don't see these people having that six months to a year yeah, buffer. I've, I've spoken to people. They say if there's about a 1%, 2% increase in their actual mortgage monthly mortgage payments they're like we can't afford it they start falling behind they'll have to be fall they fall behind and you know i don't know how the banks are going to deal with that they're probably foreclosed and then well, that becomes an issue in itself i guess it's interesting times right now because i mean i i get a lot of insider information from certain executives that reach out to me about certain corporations that are attached to the construction <laughs> nice. industry and and sometimes they're in really foul moods and then all of a sudden, it really? was last week that one in particular was in a foul mood. Yeah. And then I quickly found out through the grapevine, he lost quite a bit of money in the stocks. And I get I get it. Oh, yeah. Stocks were down. Funds were down. Crypto's being pummeled right now. So all of this uncertainty is going on. And then he reached out and made a phone call to me. And he started talking to me. And he was just like, something's going on, Manny. And I'm like, now you're saying it? Because I've been <laughs> saying it for about a year that something's going on. right? But yeah. now to hear a seasoned CEO of a big company in Canada saying something's going on, mm -hmm. Manny, makes me wonder something is going on on a corporate level. Yeah. Well, I was working in the securities industry during the pandemic, right? When everyone wow. was becoming a day trader, right? Wow, yeah. Because they needed, they needed hands on deck, right? And I was working there and some of my seniors were saying, they're like, listen, we're making money on this, it's great, like, because they have personally stocks invested, you know, like in, in the market or whatever. But the issue, the issue they had was, um, they're, they looked at the market. And they're like, "This is unnatural. Like this, this doesn't seem right." It's good. Know. It's good today. Yeah, they're like, "We don't. We're looking at it. We're not a hundred percent sure what's going on here, but it's it's not normal." I can't see what they see. I'll be honest with you. I'm not a trader. I've never. I don't have that kind of experience. They have. They've been in the industry far, far longer than I have. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder what it is they saw. Are they basing it? You think on history? A lot of finance is about history, what things were like over certain periods of time, and they kind of compare it to that. So I know that a lot of references have been made to, yeah. you know, the Roaring Twenties yeah. after World War One, yeah. before World War Two, you had the Great Depression, mm -hmm. and now I would say that we're in the Roaring Twenty Twenties, <laughs> and so it just kind of you're thinking history-wise, okay, so is something going to happen now as a result of this? I remember there was one. One historical figure that said, and I can't remember his name for the life of me, but he's well known. He said, the moment inexperienced stock traders come into the market is when I pulled out. <laughs> and that's pretty much <laughs> and, what's... Yeah. yeah. And, and there, was, there was a crash after that, uh, to your point. I can't remember who that was. I'm sure 
you know, would have this been the '87 crash or the 2000? No, this was in the '30s. Oh, way, yeah, oh, way, way back, back when. Okay, it was 20th or 30s, something like wow. that. Wow. Yeah, it was fascinating. But I don't, I don't know what it's attributed to. But I think there is some agreement that there, there's some inflationary elements in the stock market, and uh, I don't know how that's going to look like moving forward. Right? Yeah, we don't know what it's going to be like the next five years. Yeah, no, it's crazy. And then you've got the whole crypto thing going on right now. Which is a lot of uncertainty there. Yeah, I've never, and I've said this on other podcasts, I've never, I've never seen crypto as a currency. I think it's more an asset. Okay. I think it behaves more like an asset. Yeah. Particularly with uh, sometimes a highly volatile asset, even the quote unquote stable coins are a little bit volatile, but to an extent, right? And it completely comes down to your own risk, um, a risk tolerance, right? But these days, any investing is yeah. is attached to risk. Oh, yeah. You have to. It's just understanding that, right? Yeah, timing is everything as yeah, well, right? For I mean, sure. There was a guy I saw who made a tweet back in 2011 talking about, oh, my God, I'm happy I didn't buy Bitcoin. It went down to two forty $2.47. <laughs> 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 and then there's that guy in London, I think, that's actually still looking for his hard drive because he had something like... Yeah. It's now worth $300 billion if, <laughs> if he finds a hard drive. So he's been scouring all these landfills looking for his hard drive oh my that God. has current data today, which is $300 billion worth wow. of Bitcoin. And I'm like, keep digging. I don't wow. know how you're going to find it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it's it's interesting times, right? So Yeah, I think I think there is... I think you look at, you know, what the coin is sort of attached to, you know, what the asset is going to be used for. Bitcoin is, I think, an anomaly. Yeah. I think, I think it's always going to be valued in Bitcoin personally. But I think, I think you know, you want to go, there's this discussion about decentralized finance and, yep. you know, all of this sort of stuff. As much as it can be decentralized, in my opinion, because, I mean, uh, the, the presidential order, I think, not the order, sorry, the, the, the sort of like action plan that uh, President Biden had released on crypto. Right? Yeah. Some people were called it the death of crypto and, you know, super cryptic sort of stuff. I think there's there was always going to be some sort of move toward regulation yep. to make it more mainstream and yep. i think that's what that indicated more than anything else if you were in in my this is my opinion obviously i think if you were in crypto to try to get separated from the system i don't that think just that makes would, you even further attached to it yeah i don't think so i think there is some sort of reflection of the markets and crypto together right like what happens in that market will somehow affect the crypto market that's my opinion right i'm not a day crypto day trader i know some i think they have the same view but it's difficult to completely isolate yourself from the global market i don't know i don't think that's that's possible. i guess i guess my argument like i'm 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 looking at all this stuff is are we fighting over the crypto or are we fighting over who's going to own the ownership of the crypto or the the main crypto you yeah. know what i'm saying like who's going to control the bread and butter of that yeah is that what we're really fighting over well, I mean, if the government could, wouldn't they? Yeah, <laughs> but you've got so many different governments now opposing each other just on, and then it just becomes all political at this point. Yeah, what was that, El Salvador that made their um, their their national currency Bitcoin or something? Yeah, like yeah. yeah. I think that was a little bit hasty. <laughs> so there's, the, the, I just, like, you're trying to figure out what to do next, and I guess everybody's trying to figure out what to do next, but then you've got, like, Blackstone's companies that are coming in and just there are leaps and bounds in front of everybody mm -hmm. and just, okay, we can't control this. So, but we can't control real estate mm -hmm. and we can dictate inflation in these certain countries. And maybe that's what they're doing. Yeah. I don't think anyone's got the crypto stuff down to a science. No, I don't think they do. I think, no. I think real estate, there are indicators. I think yeah. there, there are potential indicators, you know, 
not only you know inflation, interest rates, and things like that. They're indicators that'll show whether it's falling, going up, and things like that. And I think maybe a seasoned veteran would know better than I I do. But there, there seems to be a lot more uh, cohesive thought that goes into it, right? They're like, yeah. okay, you know, this is likely going to go up or go down, right? Nobody can say for sure. And like even Warren Buffett can't say if a stock market's going to go up or down, right? Yeah. I can't remember who quoted that, but that's true to an extent. Despite despite how brilliant you are as an investor, but crypto is one of those things. I just I don't think anyone's got a really really good hold on it. And that's not to say that I'd, I'm, I'm I I do do some practice and work in not some actually I do do work in uh, the crypto space. Okay, working with NFTs and the blockchain technology, okay. Which, okay. which I believe in. I do think blockchain does have a lot of uh, potential uses, and I think there are some things that are. So you're working with clients that are. Yeah, monetizing NFTs. They're actually working and and you're yeah. you're okay. All right. I, and I own NFTs myself. I own yeah. crypto. You know, I'm in this space. Like you have to be in it to to, to understand to it. understand it, right? Yeah. I think that's the best way to learn. I've spoken to people about it, and you know, we've had discussions about it. Joined communities, right? It gets a little bit out of hand. You get on one the community, and then you're in like thirty others. <laughs> <laughs> but then you get a lot of people saying different things, and you're trying to figure. That's what I've. I'm still trying to educate myself about crypto and blockchain and NFTs yeah. and trying to figure out the whole landscape. And I think it's it's not like real estate or it's not like just investing. Yeah. You buy stocks or you buy mutual funds, you kind of clearly see mm-hmm. that path. Oh, absolutely. Crypto, there is no clear vision no. attached to that path. No. So you've got so you've got crypto, right? How you're going to and there's certain things attached to crypto like that will make it more usable or a better or worse asset. Ethereum, for example. Yeah. Super high gas fee. Your transactions cost money, right? But you can build things on that and on that blockchain, right? Which yeah. adds more value to it. I think Solana is another one, but they don't have enough people working on Solana. It's good, it's good, and there's some good projects on there. I was actually going to make a post on LinkedIn about one of the the gaming projects, the video game projects oh, that okay. are on Solana right yeah. now. Yeah, it's really, really good. But again, like they've got issues as well. That, that those are kind of like there was a really good explanation, like a four-minute explanation. I can forward it to you. Yeah, please do, man. I would and like to take there a look at it. There is sort of like a quote-unquote crypto expert that goes in front of uh, what do they have? I don't know, it wasn't that whatever they have in the U.S. I think it was a Senate or something or Senate committee. Okay. And his like three to four-minute explanation on the blockchain industry was probably one of the best I've ever seen. Right, and it kind of cleared it up on exactly what that what it is, you know, what these tokens are, yeah. what these coins are, and what their value is and where their value is and where it comes from, sort of thing. Right, I'm not going to even attempt to <laughs> to water it down because his, I thought his explanation was very eloquent. Some people and it was like three to five minutes long. Yeah, it wasn't long. Because it's funny that anybody I've spoken to regarding this. It's like okay, we got to sit down, and I gotta, I got <laughs> to start from the beginning here, yeah. and uh, and then I got to work your way. And I got to like, and it becomes like this hour long conversation, yeah. if not longer. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't that long. It wasn't it interesting. I'd love to see that. Yeah. Yeah, I'll definitely, cool. I'll definitely send you. Couldn't have been longer than ten minutes. Okay. But it felt really short. Okay. And I was like, wow. That and it is... made sense. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And it was made in a way where, like, and, and I say this with respect to politicians, but they're not an expert on everything. No one is. But it was made for. For them to di- be able to digest it, so it has to be in like common tongue, right? It has to be, uh, you know, colloquial. Yeah, so it was a really good explanation. You bring up the politicians, and it's really funny. It's probably the one of the few careers out there that you don't need any formal training <laughs> or on-site training to actually be a politician. Yeah, and it's just a shame <laughs> <laughs> because of the destructive power behind it. But I mean, okay. I, I, Let's let's shift gears. I know that uh, let's talk about this. Uh, what's going on with the um, unvaccinated mandates in Canada? 
<laughs> trying to get out of this country if you're not vaccinated uh, yeah. because we still have all these strict mandates at all of our <laughs> airports and I guess train stations too, right? Yeah, Any, anything that's federally regulated. Yes, because you can get into a car and you can travel across the country if you want and that's not an issue. Yeah, apparently. That's, yeah. that's fine. <laughs> I've done it. it. I did it in January. I went from Ontario to Quebec. No big thing. But yeah. okay, so right now there's, there's litigation going on or... Yeah, there is. So... I'll give you a little bit of backstory on sort of the legal challenges that are kind of going on right now. So there have been many challenges, you know, you know, constitutionally based, charter based yeah. on, you know, the, the vaccination policies, right? Particularly, you know, the, the treatment inequity. And some, some of them have failed. Many of them failed. But there's one that's come against the travel ban. It's a challenge. And I think they put in an application. And um, it was remarkable. There was absolutely zero coverage on this. Like none. And, and why I'll, would there be? Oh, yeah. And I, <laughs> I reached out to the CBC. I said, listen, this is huge. And I'll tell you why it's huge. The Constitution was, was written very early on. But the Charter of Rights, I think, was 1982, yeah. right? Which is separate, and, not separate apart. It's a part of the Constitution. But it came in around that time. The last living signatory. Yep. The last living signatory. He's been making a little bit of noise on social. Director, yeah. The, yep. honorable, the right honorable uh, Brian Peckford. Yep. He is the applicant in this lawsuit. Oh, really? He is. And he said, you know, two years, I can't, and I, and I made a uh, post on this on LinkedIn. He said, I couldn't sit back for two years. You know, I sat back for two years and I saw what they were doing, you know, wh how they were using the charter. And this is never the way it was meant to be. It was never meant to institute uh, travel bans across Canada. And, you know, I was going to, and to be able to travel, all you, you need to get a private charter just to get on an airplane. Like that was never the intention yeah. of this of the charter. Uh, I think it was Section Six Mobility Rights, and he said, "I can't do that. I can't afford to do it." I, I, I'm not sure, but I don't think he's vaccinated. And he said, "I, I've made that decision, and I'm being punished for it." Ninety percent of Canada is vaccinated, right? Ten percent, yeah. you know, have chosen not to, and that, you know, that's okay. which is it counts to about six to eight percent or six to seven million people. Yeah, yeah. And it's marginal. Yes, it's marginal. It's not huge. And there's sort of like a tyranny of the majority going on, in my view. And there are many, many people, will, you know, not only unvaccinated, but many people who are vaccinated have that position. You know, this isn't right. This is an infringement on civil liberties. Right. So he's the applicant in that um, particular case. The Fed, this was filed, I think, in late January. The federal government had X amount of days to respond. I think they were supposed to respond in May. You're looking at a potential hearing after, you know, affidavits, cross affidavit, like cross examination of the affidavits, all the sort of the evidence disclosure and things like that. They're going to go back and forth. You're looking at a hearing date potentially September. I think is what I heard was the last timeline. Wow. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's unfortunate. So but that's just a that's a like a a Senate kind of hearing. Like he, I guess. No, both this, this will go to court. It'll be oh. in front of a judge. Wow. And the judge will have to render a decision. A single person. Uh, I can't. I think it's the federal court. Okay. Um, which will render a decision on it. I think they were looking for an injunction to freeze the travel ban, right? Because it, like, because it goes against the charter. Yeah, this is the the position. That's the taken, argument, right? Or, they have they have a number of other arguments that they've made across the charter, but I think that one's a really key one. The section six and early legal commentary on the on that particular section was that. If it did, we have something called um, Section 1, it's the Oaks Test, right? Where even if there is a charter infringement on any of the charter rights, could be Section 7, 6, whatever, you can justify it. Like a court can justify it. They can say, you know what, it's reasonably justified in a free and democratic society according to XYZ, the test, the Oaks text, test. 
and they can say it's completely okay. Uh, you know, the court can say that the court can say that Supreme Court of Canada has done this and they've justified an infringement on personal liberties, liberties or just liberties in general, according to the charter, saying that, look, in Canada, we need this. The the, the means necessitates necessitates the end. Yes. Right. It justifies the end. So early legal commentary was that any sort of challenge would justify it because of the pandemic and any sort of individual infringement on liberty would also be justified because we're in the middle of a pandemic and public health takes precedent over all else. Yes. Right? That's their argument. That was the early legal commentary. Yes. Now you have <laughs> last living drafter. He wrote it. Yeah. <laughs> or, and the last living signatory, the guy, you know, person who signed on to it saying that, no, what you're doing is wrong. This is never what we attended. What's it? I'm, I'm curious to see what a judge is going to say. He's like, sorry, um, yeah, sorry, Mr. You know, applicant. You uh, you may have wrote the legislation, but I'll tell you what it really meant. How 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 and they could take that stance at that point, right? I wonder how they would. I wonder how they would. But it's what about the argument about how? First of all, Canada is the only one that still has a travel ban for unvaccinated people. It's fascinating, isn't it? It's it's, it's we're the only country yeah. in the world. We can't even travel in our own country. Yeah. So right. like I, I I don't so where's the argument at that point? So if you're taking this to a court, where's that argument at that point? Also, it was clearly labeled that our prime minister invoking the Emergencies Act was completely illegal. Yeah, which was, um, and we all knew that he did that, and he also um what did he what's it called? He actually um, removed it or he pulled it back before it actually had the final vote. Yeah. Right. And he did that because he knew that he was never going to get approved. And that's what the history books would, would kind of say. So yeah. doesn't that also kind of factor in? And also, OK, so the cases nowadays, mm-hmm. like where is the pandemic, so to speak? Yeah. Where, where exactly the deaths are not going up? Everything's not going yeah. up. So, the, you know, the people are testing positive, I guess. Yeah. Well, I, there's a few there's a few points. First of all, the the, the measures that were implemented against, you know, I don't want to say the truckers. I'll say the convoy. It was. They were extreme dr- and abusive. Oh, it was draconian. Yes. It was, it was terrifying. Really, you know, based on the prelim- preliminary stuff, preliminary stuff that I looked into, it looked uh, something you, you enacted at a time of a war, yeah. right? This is. Yeah. This was an, an over overextension of the power, the parliamentary powers, in my view. Yeah. Um, it was terrifying. I don't think it was necessarily so bad that it was it, it justified that. Yeah. Right. That being said. I think I think the key there was dialogue. There was, you know, some, there was no communication. Was first none. of all, there was none. And I, that's not the way, in my view. And this is obviously my position. I, you know, everyone can feel free to disagree, agree, but I think dialogue is the key to any sort of good government. One hundred percent. That's my view. I mean, right now he's in Ukraine. Right now, having dialogue. <laughs> You know, which is great for the Ukrainians. It's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, but how about the Canadians? Yeah. How absolutely. about the people that have been going through this for the last two years? Right? Yeah. I mean, I don't look. You've got you've got a bunch of guys who set up their trucks and you know in front of in front of Parliament. It's not like they ran through Parliament with a truck. Like, no. I mean, it, it was a peaceful protest. Yeah. There was no firearms. Nobody was getting violent. There was like, it, it, and it's all oh. coming out now, right? So it's all being investigated and and all this stuff that you know the whole GoFundMe thing, all mm-hmm. that stuff, right? It's just it wasn't foreign funded. It was like it's no. all this. So it's like it's all coming to light, yeah. but but it happened. 
It happened, and, and, and certain things happened as a result of yeah, it. Yeah, and okay, fine. So maybe there was one person, two person. I don't know. Like, maybe that had certain views that perhaps weren't representative of the entire yeah. convoy, right? Yeah. You're going to not talk to anyone as a result of that? Is that is that as really? a leader of a free nation? Yeah, I I don't agree with. Why that. can't you even just have some communication? Yeah, I don't I didn't I didn't agree with that at all. I di I didn't think it was right. I think I think you need to have that sort of dialogue, right? And, and I think that would have diffused things. It, right, a hundred percent would have diffused things. And I think it, they were very clear. The convoy or whoever the organizers, they were very clear about how they just wanted to have dialogue. Yeah, that's all it was. Yeah. But I mean, they weren't having that, and that was not fair. So now I guess we have to we have to wait until September to find out what the court's going to say, and then oh, obviously, the travel ban, yeah, yeah. So he's going to have to. So anybody who wants to travel, and now you know the weather's getting nicer, and people want to travel, but yeah. they can't travel. And I and I understand too. I haven't traveled since this whole mess started. Yeah. And the thing is, even people that are fully vaccinated are mm -hmm. still coming across delays and headaches at the difficulties, airports. Difficulties, yeah. Difficulties, and right? most of the world, I'll be honest with you, has yeah. moved on. That's that's the that's the <laughs> thing is that you've okay. got a nation of 37 million people. Yeah. Why is it that Canada is still in this situation? Yeah, I mean, we were. I remember. I can't remember who promised this, but I remember there. Well, I did read that. You know, once you reach quote unquote herd immunity at 75 percent vaccination, well, that was way normal. exactly. Yeah. So, what, what are we at? 90 percent? Yeah. Why are and we trying to get 100? You're still? never going to get 100. No, no. But it's it doesn't make any sense really, and it's kind of disappointing to see. But at a 90 percent vaccination rate, we're one of the highest, if not the highest in the world, right? That should be sufficient, right? Yeah. And remember, mortality rate isn't super, super high with, with COVID, once you catch it. I'm not a medical exper expert by any means, but the discussion I'm having now is regarding medical policy. And I remember there was a medical expert that sort of had the dis discussion and he had actually stated, he said, um, I can't remember what his name was, um, but he was, he was respected, if I remember correctly, I remember reading up on his credentials and qualifications, and he said this isn't about health, per se. This is about protection of the healthcare system, yeah. which is remarkably different, right? Yeah. It was about protecting the integrity of the healthcare system, which was on the brink of collapse prior to the pandemic. That's a fact, too. Right? Yeah. It was on the brink of collapse prior to the pandemic, and the pandemic broke it, mm -hmm. like absolutely shattered it. Some people, so interestingly, some people have attributed to that to the fact that, well, I mean, potentially healthcare mismanagement, but the fact that it's a public healthcare system, right? In the United States, if you get sick, you think about going to the hospital. Yeah. Right. I'm not. I'm not advocating for or against either one. I think universal healthcare is very important, and I think it is fundamental. It's recognized as a human right. There, there needs to be uh, efficiency to the system. But the division, you said that 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 was Ooh. caused. Like, I mean, the Toronto Star posting that one headliner saying that if an unvaccinated person got sick, then they have no right to enter a hospital for any kind of treatment whatsoever. Yeah. Like that was a, that was a headline of a newspaper here in Canada. Yeah. Like that's that's division. Why were you creating such a division? Right. And that's that's a whole other can of worms that you that's can talk about. I think I think there's a political I hate there's to say agenda. This. I hate to say this, but I, I feel there are political motivations on to certain elements in the way you know these were this was legislated yeah right and the way you know certain laws have been drawn up i mean there's no 10 percent of the country and you're going to stop them from flying what why i know that doesn't make sense i know they're not going to they're not going to spread the virus in my view at least and they, you told us that at 75 percent we should be we good. should be fine but we're at 90. we haven't gone back to normal this right? we haven't seen it right yeah i d that the travel ban makes less sense than so many other things and 
there's not a lot of sense going around, unfortunately. So what are you thinking and your friends, your colleagues thinking come September when this actually gets in front of the court? Is it going to be, is the ban going to be taken away or is it just going to be continue at that point? Like how much longer do you take this ban? Yeah, that's so, that's the question. That's crazy, honestly. I I, I can't say it's it's novel in nature. It's yeah. not it's not even necessarily the, the the actual legal element. The legal element is novel, right? The mobility rights challenge, more than anything. But I think what's crazy is the applicant, right? You're actually going against a, the one of the a legislators. Person. Yeah, yeah. That that was there when the charter was drafted if anyone knows the original intention because the courts are always saying this is what the legislation means this is what the charter means but here their we have interpretation him. of it yeah their interpretation they're, that's yes. what the courts do they're, yes. they're interpreting legislation yes. right this is what the legislator meant this is what they meant when they write the law well here he, you, got, you got a person right here <laughs> who's going to tell you yeah, what we which meant. is why it's so fascinating yeah and i really like to if i was if i was the federal government of canada so on on the right, the right honorable brian packford side I think the the case is clear. You have ex you know what to argue. You know exactly how to argue it. You were there. You know you've got you know your positions. And I I think the facto the factum was released, so you can actually see the arguments for them. I haven't had the opportunity to read through it, unfortunately. But on the federal government side, the only way or one of the ways I could see if, is try to discredit him. So how do you do that? You probably look at the parliamentary records, and say, look, this was the original intention. What he says isn't true, right? But if it matches up, what do you do? You can't. Yeah. But is there a lot of case law from then until now that has used it against? Yeah, it's fascinating. So I. So I, now I, you got to go back in the history, right? You're gonna yeah. have to. Well, I mean, on the common law system, you're often looking at at history, right? Yeah. And how the laws have applied and whether the principles are the same. I don't know a ton about mobility rights, but I think it's gonna be fascinating. It's going to be, it's, it is going to be fascinating. I mean, in all fairness, and, and, and I've said this before, is that Canada is such a great nation, even though we have such a small population. Oh, and, absolutely. And the majority, 80% of our population is right here where we are mm -hmm. in this belt here, right? Yeah. And then there's a bunch in uh, West and things mm -hmm. like that. But um, Canada has actually had such a, uh, a huge spotlight on the global stage. Yeah. And, and when things were going south and when we were not being lead properly, mm -hmm. led properly, yeah. um, that spotlight just grew. And yeah. you, you saw around the world, a lot of other leaders kind of understand the viewpoint of the citizens and not the leaders. You know, you know the other thing, Manny, is a lot of Canadians don't even know that that travel ban is still in effect. This is what irritates the hell out of me, is that 37 million people, whatever million people yeah. that we have here, and it's just... The misinformation or people not understanding what's really at stake here. Mm -hmm. Like, I, 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 my parents immigrated to this country in the late 70s, mm -hmm. right? You're hearing now about so many people leaving this country yeah. and immigrating back to where they came from. Yeah. And they left places that were far harsher yeah. coming to a new land. Mm -hmm. And now they're leaving this place. Like, Canada is the place that you leave. Yeah. That's scary to hear and see and to understand and to feel. And, and I know plenty of people in the construction industry that are saying, I'm cashing out, man. Yeah. I'm getting out. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go. Yeah. Be I know. I know people who have done the same thing. And they've, they're coming. They're coming from. And this uh, is talking. Canada. And we're talking Soviets. Like they came, they came during the Soviet Union. Yeah. They came to Canada and they're seeing certain things and they're very concerned and they're leaving. And I'll be quite frank with you. It is, it is very concerning. It is. I'm not. I'm not saying the government is communist or anything like that. No, no, it's no. Me. It's not that. It's just there are measures and powers that I think are overarching. And I think, and I don't think I'm in the wrong to say this, it's, 
it's not reflective of what you know ought to be done i'll give you an example yeah one of my uh one of my mentors he he does a lot of work with this and he just attended one convoy right i think the one in windsor okay so i think they were on the bridge or something he yep. said he just came i just went to go you know talk to them and talk them down the one that was going on before the one in ottawa that didn't have the emergency act yeah, I used. think so. Yeah. I, I I can't remember which one it was, but he said, I just went to talk to him off the bridge. Listen, they, you shouldn't be blocking traffic sort of thing, right? And they came off. No problem, right? So he's he's done work and he's done work with the convoy. So one of someone, <laughs> I can't believe this happened. So someone in the um, in the con in the convoy, I guess, was, I don't know if he was an organizer or who he was, but he went to court and um, he didn't even make bail which is crazy. And the reason he was denied, the reason he was denied, what get, was the reason? The reason he was denied was because he was at risk of reassembling, quote unquote. Well, that was the same argument with the Ottawa, right? But well, yeah. Is it that, was it that quote unquote dangerous? It right? wasn't. That, that it justifies denying, denying bail. And I assure you, bail generally gets granted uh, hold on, I'll, I'll rephrase that. There have been instances where people have been granted bail and you'd be scratching your head. You're talking about like more severe M crimes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah more, 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 definitely more severe. Yeah. Right? But I guess, I guess it depends on maybe the leanings of the, the justice of the peace or judge. So you got to be wondering, is it the justice of the peace being influenced by political? You got to wonder. Yeah, I think... Um, I think there is, which, which technically speaking, they're not supposed to be. Yeah, no, there's so like, I think there is an element that does get, um, there ought to be some sort of influence, right? Because remember like certain appointments and nominations do happen by, you know, certain parties, right? Like the Supreme court of Canada, for example, right? Like there's going to be a nomination and, and there's likely like we can be honest about it there's probably been a review of the ju judge's decisions, right? Yeah. Whether it fits, you know, a certain, you know, the certain political leanings of those in power, for example. That's not always the case. It doesn't always happen like that. There's many different factors. And generally speaking, the judiciary is objectively away and apart from the, the political branch, right? And as they should be, because the judiciary is supposed to keep the parliamentary powers in check, right? Make sure there's no overreach. But how can you say that when certain people that have not committed harsh crimes not being get granted bail? Yeah, I think everyone's everyone's humans at the end of the day. You got to question it. Yeah. You have to question it. That there's yeah. got to be some sort of influence. Has to be. Yeah, I don't I don't know what that influence looks like, but I'm sure because like we're at the end of the day we like we all consume certain medias and yeah. forms of media, right? So it's impossible, and, and this is obviously my position, but I think it's impossible for anyone to be completely neutral and unbiased. Oh, it's too right? difficult. Way right? too difficult. Take in for a second that all you've been consuming is a certain kind of rhetoric. And again, I, I, don't, I can't speak to, you know, the judges of the justice of the peace on this matter, but I can speak, you know, generally. You're going to have some sort of colored impression on based yep. on what you see on TV. Yep. I, I don't think that's an exaggeration to say. And you also have to consider, and I'm, I, I always, I'm always skeptical with what I see on TV, even if it's reported on the news. I think there's always more to the story. Perfect example of that is how no one in Canada has covered this travel ban, 
Fox News picked it up out of every, out of everyone. Well, it's funny that you're seeing other news sources that are outside of the Canada. Outside the but country. But I, I, I mean, it's I think it's public knowledge now how much money has been given to the Canadian news media yes. by the government. Yes. Which is um, a little bit of a conflict of interest. Like <laughs> a you sh- like if you're trying if you're trying to have an objective journalistic perspective. Yeah. Where is that objective <laughs> journalistic perspective <laughs> if someone is tapping you on the shoulder with some money? Yeah. Like, it's difficult to do that at that point. But again, it, like we were talking about, Manny, I mean, most like most of the people I've spoken to don't know that people have travel ban. I mean, how would they? How, why, why, okay, I they, guess, they I guess this is the question. This is yeah. the question. Why would they care? They, it doesn't affect that. That's the other thing I was just going to, like, exactly. So the, you got a certain percentage of the population that doesn't know. you got another percentage of the population that doesn't really care. Mm-hmm. Then you've got a smaller percentage of people actually trying to make some noise out there to say, listen, here's all the information. You guys just yeah. figure out what you want to do with it. That's all we're asking for. Oh, 100%. Like, I, I, and and the, the, the problem is what we see a lot of, it's not necessarily objective reporting. There's going to be leanings. Right, either right or yep. left, and it's kind of up to see you, you to kind of try to figure out where the truth is. Probably somewhere in the middle, and it's very difficult. It's very difficult, and it does color people's impressions, unfortunately. Okay, um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I like having conversations like that where you go on a different tangents, and I still want to. I, I got some questions here I wanted to ask you about. Sure. I just because uh, it, like we said earlier, if you're in the construction industry, you are going to have a conversation with uh, with a lawyer at some point and you got to yeah. drop contracts. And if you build a large enough brand, you're going to have to start looking at corporations and, and putting all that stuff together. So that's got to be something that's got to be in the back burner. Yeah. Not just, you know, like construction people in general, for, for argument's sake, are not the best when it comes to paper. Yeah. Like they are great with the skill saws and, mm-hmm. and doing all this, everything in the work and everything like that, but they're not great about paper, right? Mm-hmm. And I guess... I want to get your opinion about when they want to speak to somebody, I guess it's kind of almost in the same vein of when someone's looking for a therapist, you can't always just rely that the first person you speak to is going to be a right, the correct therapist for you. So I guess when it comes to a lawyer and if you want to go speak to a lawyer, what should these people be, I guess, looking for? Yeah. Looking for. Yeah. Honesty. Look for honesty. But that's a little bit of a, (laughs) it's, I know it sounds tough. It sounds weird, but look for someone who's candid. Someone who's going to tell you, Look, this is your chance of success. This is how much I charge. Um, I'll give you an example. So I, you know, part of what I do is actually like I, I liaise with lawyers. I manage international litigation for clients as well. So I and I, I refer out you know to other lawyers that where to areas I don't practice. Of course, right? Yeah. Like you you need to know what you know. But you would you, know, know. you would know those people, right? The same way that we yeah. would know other people in the industry. Yeah, exactly. Referrals yes. matter. Yeah. They do. So I'm going to give you an example of what this particular lawyer did well and why I was, I, I'm happy I recommended someone to her. It was a wrongful dismissal suit, I believe, uh, employment law matter. And she, so the client wanted to do something on contingency, right? I said, like, look, I can't do it. I don't practice this area of litigation. I don't practice litigation at all, generally. But this 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 is something more specialized particularly employment law right general like employment matters you can advise on like contracts and things like that you know with the esa the employment standards act yeah um that's that's okay but employment litigation is very very specialized to to my point so i referred this client to her and he had a conversation with her i said look she's got like 20 to 30 years of experience you know i've spoken to her 
very knowledgeable. She knows the rules of the game. She knows how to collect, which is really important, right? She'll get you what you need, the justice that you're seeking. And what she did was, she said, look, I can take this on contingency. She, she first said, let me think about it. She's like, this is my rate. This is it. She gave an assessment of the case. This is what she, it looks like. This is the positive. This is the negative sort of thing. Always look for that, right? Not just all positive, slam dunk, we got this sort of thing. Yeah. Always be kind of skeptical about okay. that. You want, you, you want an honest assessment, right? Personally, if I go to someone, I don't want you to say, oh, yeah, don't worry about the potential negatives, pitfalls. We'll deal with it when we get No. I'm like, I'm paying you. <laughs> it's all billable hours yeah. at that point. No, yeah. you don't do that. Okay. You don't do that. It's bad business, in my yeah. opinion. So what she did was, and I think this was absolutely phenomenal, she said, look, I'll take the contingency. If I get you know, X amount of dollars, usually they do it around between 25 and 35% this contingency fee when you win. Only when you win. You only pay when you win, yeah. right? She said, look, if I settle it early, you'll be overpaying me. If it goes the distance then I'm adequately compensated. Think about that and let me know if you're okay with that. She's being honest. Absolutely. Like and, that, and it's just information for us to think about. Absolutely. That's and a fair assessment. That's for sure. the kind of cadness I think lawyers yeah. need, a good lawyer will have with their client. She said, she said straight, look, I can settle this and you'll be overpaying me if I do, if I settle it earlier. And she wouldn't, she wouldn't settle on anything less than the, what the client wants. But her point was, like, you need to understand what you're getting in terms of your service. So I think what she was noting was that, look, you can pay me an hourly rate, and if you do it up to there, to this point of settlement, right, you know, you'll pay me less than what I would if, yeah. you know, the contingency goes through. I like her already. Yeah. No, that makes and a lot of sense. And that's how you represent your clients, in my view. Straight out the bat, let them know what's going on, give them an assessment of the case, and that, that's kind of like the sniff test, right? Yeah. That's how you know. Now, is it true that most litigations or most claims don't even go to the trial? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like the ma a large mo majority of them. Yeah. A lot of them, I'd say most, I think I saw a stat like 70 to 80% or something like that will usually settle out of, out of court. And the, yeah. court, the court system are still clogged. Yeah. <laughs> You're still years away from even getting into a yeah. court date or well, whatever. Well, I mean, that's the discussion, right? Like, and it, it depends. Like, there's so many factors on, you know, why something may or may not settle. There are sometimes, you know, sometimes it's bad lawyers that just keep pushing and pushing and pushing. A lot of the times it's just... The ones that should get to the courts get there because the the issues are so tight. Yeah. Like you need a judge to, to make that decision, right? Yeah. There are cases where it's just spiteful exes, right? They're like, they're not going to agree on anything. Yeah, and that was my next question is that what's the majority reason why people actually go down the litigation route? Is it not mostly personal? Like yeah. it's just spite at that point? Sometimes. Sometimes it could be. But I think... Uh, you know, you're enforcing a contract sometimes, right? Like, yeah. hey, listen, you said you're going to give me $100,000, you know, to complete X, Y, Z. I need to run my business. I need to pay my bills. I need to pay my workers, whatever. I need, I need you to give me that money. So it can be a form of enforcement as well, right? And there are ways which the court can enforce, you know, such as liens, you yeah. know, which is something you've seen in the construction industry yeah. like countless times, I'm sure. But a lot of people in the industry don't understand that you've got to repurpose that lien every single year, right? Uh, I can't. I can't speak to it. Yeah. I, well, that's I don't what I've been told case. by other. Yeah. yeah. So, and and I, remember, I remember my very first conversation with a lawyer when I had a client that refused to pay the final bill, and the final bill was just over eleven thousand dollars. Yeah. I spoke to other tradespeople, and they just said, "Well, I'll put a lien. Yeah. Take it to small claims, yeah. right? 
my first conversation with a lawyer I had was with a friend of a friend of a friend that recommended somebody to speak to. Yeah. On the phone, this is the conversation that I had with this lawyer. And he asked me how much. And I said, it's just over $11,000. And he goes, not even worth it. Yeah, he's not going to take it. He goes, not even worth it. Yeah. It's going to cost you more to even go to small claims to try to get that amount. And you'll never get that amount. Well, in his view. In his yeah. view, right? It might be more doable for someone who does, and there are practices that do this. All they do is small claims, like paralegals or like yeah, maybe paralegals. Yeah, okay. and, and there are lawyers too that uh, their entire practice is just being in small claims. Small court, claims, yeah, right. And, and for them, it makes sense because small claims, from a business sort of like um, a business model perspective, it makes more sense if you know you're doing volume. Yes. Right? Because if you're doing volume of small claims, then all of a sudden it becomes worth it, right? Yeah. You got like a bunch it's of cases. It's a routine. You just got it. It goes yeah. right in there, right? Yeah, yeah. But and I go back. More, to, sorry? You're taking out more cases for that, right? Yeah. Whereas if you weren't doing just small claims and you're doing like larger files, right? Larger litigation. That requires more time, more yeah. effort. Yeah. And yeah, the collection doesn't make sense. You might spend more on billable hours in certain small claims cases than what you'll make back. But again, it depends completely on the firm and what they do. But if you have a firm that that's where all they do, they're just like, oh, easy contingency. You know, we'll put down like 1500 2000 is probably how much it's going to cost to go the distance on this. You know, they'll do a quick case assessment. And they're like, no problem. We'll do it. Right? They collect on that and move in. I actually I actually know a firm that has do, that has that model. Really? Yeah. And they do that, huh? Yeah, I think they're based out of Waterloo. I just, I, like, when, when I had all the conversations, I spoke to so many tradespeople that either were taken by clients or were taken by GCs, general contractors, that just refused to pay. And ultimately, the majority of them, I would say, honestly, 9 out of 10 of them that I spoke to, they just walked away. Yeah. Because they also balanced, I think that they, they've experienced it once. And once you experience it for the first time and the only time, the loss of life, which mm -hmm. is attached to stress... Yeah. It outweighs it, man. It totally 100%. outweighs it. So then a lot of guys, and you got a lot of tradespeople up there going out there where they have, you know, $100,000 loss over the years of their career. I know of certain tradespeople in GCs that have like up to $2 million of loss over decades Ooh. of their career. And I'm like thinking, that's a lot of money. That's but then they money. balance the loss of life when it comes to stress. Yeah. Because litigation, even small claims, still takes oh, a couple up, of man. years, right? Yeah, it adds And up. then you still don't know the final outcome because you're going to one person, just like you said, it could be such a, a, a minute detail. And then that judge could either find you in favor or find them in favor. And then there's court costs and all this other crap, right? And why would anyone want to have to deal with that? Right? It's very difficult, very taxing mentally, psychologically, emotionally. For sure. For sure. Even, even if you are 100% in, in the, the right, right, it's so taxing. It's still taxing at that point. Right. And you really have to be, you have to really want to do it. Yeah. Right. And this, is, this, is, this isn't just, you know, for small amounts of money. Large amounts of money too. Like people generally like, do we want to go through that headache? Do we want to, you know, present evidence and get all the documents together and get, you know, give it to people? People have to make that assessment for themselves. It's just difficult. And I think a good lawyer will have that conversation, not just see like, oh, this is, you know, a huge financial, you know, possibility and earn, you know, win. I think good lawyers will say, look, think about it. Yeah. Think about whether this is something you want to do. It's going to take X amount of years before you even see a penny from this. If you see a penny from if this. If you see a penny from And this. a lot of people don't understand. Even if you win, then you have to chase the money. Uh-huh. The court's not responsible for you to chase that money. You have to go after that money now. There are methods of enforcement that the courts can do. Yeah. Even after judgment has been rendered. I don't know what they all are, but I know they exist. Yeah. But you still have to. 
you still have you to still go gotta chase process. it at yeah. that, and you got to go through the process yeah and so it depends on i guess how much it is and how important it is at that point where you want to go down that whole process right yeah there's certain remedies for that yeah yeah so i mean i just i, I just want the guys that are the trades people that are listening that to understand that if you ever get into the situation you're talking years of your life yeah there's a whole process attached to it you're going to be spending so much money yeah like so much money like i mean lawyers nowadays are anywhere from whatever 250 to 450 and higher whatever an hour yeah right and and none of this ever happens on a contingency uh, when it comes to this kind of level yeah it's always just costs on top of costs on top of costs right yeah i I think in the construction industry particularly like you know your average sole um sort of um independent contractor it's going to be small claims matters yeah. that you're going to see. The right? majority of them. But then uh, once you go above 25000 it becomes superior court Thir- at that 35 point. 35 now. 35. Is it 35000 They increased it to 35 yeah. Oh, really? That's interesting. Yeah. So it's good. Okay, I think, that's I think they thing. needed to do that. Yeah, to, to alleviate some of the yeah. bottlenecking going on in the superior. Good thing, the good thing about small claims is it's a very straightforward process. Yes. I think that's that's the good thing about it. But even then, even then, there still is a barrier. Right, because you still have to learn all of the rules. You still yep. have to learn the lingo, and if yep. you haven't done it before, you know you got to figure it out as you go. Yep. Right, and the judges will be understanding of that. Right, they understand that. Hold on, you're not a regular in here. This is something you do for a living, and they try to make it as accessible as possible. But it's still difficult. Yeah. Right, for your average person. So I know that you're in corporate law right now, right? Yeah. Corporate commercial. Yeah. Corporate commercial law. And I know that I recently learned about something where there is such a thing as piercing the corporation. Oh, yeah. Do you want to shed some light on that? Because yeah. Because the majority of tradespeople that are in the business, the first thing that a lot of people tell them is incorporate your business to protect yourself in the event of something happens, right? Yeah. But if you're the primary shareholder, you're the employee to the corporation, and there is a way that, I guess, litigation could pierce the corporation. Certain times, Yes. To pierce the corporate veil, it's it's an extreme remedy, by the way, because it defeats the purpose of the, the corporation. Like, the corporation is there so you can do business safely. Yeah. yeah. Right? You're there, it's there to protect you from liability. It's protect, uh, there to protect you individually. So this is why piercing the corporate veil is seen as a very, very aggressive remedy. Right? So you would have really had to screw up to do that. Right? Could And I'm thinking, you know, like, we're thinking like fraud, right? Like super, super high level. Generally speaking, a court's going to be hesitant to pierce the corporate veil because, it, like I said, it goes against what the actual corporation was was created for, right? Yeah. But sometimes they will do it, and I if I actually did did, did this for did some research for this uh, on this for a client um, for a cross border matter. Interestingly enough, in the United States, and when a court would pierce the corporate veil. Yeah, and it's just so one one matter. Interestingly enough, and I remember for this from there, they might pierce the corporate veil where if there is a subsidiary corporation, there is a substantial amount of control exerted by the parent corporation into the subsidiary corporation, where it's not really and you know a subsidiary a subsidiary acting on its own. It's right? a shell. Yeah. So sometimes they sometimes they have pierced in in that um, 
in, in those circumstances. And by the way, I should probably add this quick caveat. None of this is actual legal information. Uh, yeah, 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 for sure. 100%. <laughs> don't, anybody, don't anybody assume that at all. We're just having a general conversation yeah, about what's uh, out there. You have to do your own homework and find out there. Yeah. Or but, consult yeah. a lawyer for if you exactly. want actual legal for advice. For sure, for but sure. But none of this is qualified as that. I just want to protect myself. <laughs> yeah. I'll note that at the first thing on the, on the, yeah, on the show notes. Disclaimer, please. Totally, totally, for sure. But I just, I find it interesting because I, I quickly, you, you start to learn about the whole legal process where technically speaking, someone can sue the corporation, the shareholder, yeah. and let's say for argument's sake, in a construction application, they could also sue every single sub-trade that was attached to that project too. But now it's the onus on the defendant to eliminate one by one all those claims against personal people, correct? Yeah, I'm not sure how, how it runs up in the, particularly in these kind of matters. A corporate litigator would know better than I, to be honest with you. But yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, it could, yeah, I, I, I could see how that could happen. And, you know, it's very important that you do protect your assets and, you know, sort of um, insulate them properly. Um, but that, that comes down to corporate planning at the end of the day. Yeah. And how you do that is um, there's an entire uh, legal element to that. Well, the funny thing is a lot of people in the industry will purchase their personal vehicles, say, for argument's sake, mm -hmm. through the corporation. Yeah. But now that if you have a claim against you, that personal vehicle is attached to that corporation. Yeah. That's where the installation comes from. Yeah. So that is the thing. Yes. Um, yeah. So purchasing, yeah, you do that. I think I think it's, if I remember correctly, and don't quote me on this, but uh, from a tax planning perspective, it's generally better to lease your vehicle. Yes. Um, you can write it off. Um, and that's why they put it into the corporation. Yeah. So it benefits you for CRA, but in the event of a claim or litigation, it doesn't benefit you. It actually hurts you. Yeah. Yeah. In retrospect, this is true. Yeah. Uh, that that technically would be an asset if it was purchased for the corporation. Exactly. That's, that's correct. Exactly. Yeah. So that yeah, that's true. <laughs> no, <laughs> no I just I, I mean I like that's the funny thing about construction is that I've met so many people that have been in the business for five decades or whatever, and I've met so many people that are brand new. Yeah. And you get that glazed look over their eyes, the brand new guys and of girls, course. and they just are like that's the biggest scare in their world. The biggest oh, yeah. scare in their world is to actually get sued by I guess a bad client, and then mm -hmm. they have to go through this whole process. And that's difficult. And that goes back to my loss of life thing, right? Yeah. And I think, you, you know, to do that and to try to prevent it, you have good contracts in place. Super important. But even contracts, I mean, I've had conversations with people before going, listen, I've, I've taken people to court based on a handshake contract. And I've taken to people to court yeah. with a hundred page contract. Yeah. It, it's just like it, it becomes the argument on both sides. Yeah. I mean, you could. In theory, put in a clause, and I'm obviously just thinking out loud. I'd have actually look into legitimacy of this. Construction is very, very different. They, there's like you have the Construction Act; it's its own like its yeah. own beast. Yeah, like they are very focused construction lawyers, their own specialty. But I would figure there would be some sort of arbitration clause you can put in a contract to prevent it from going to court. Well, see, it's funny you bring that up because I actually want to just educate people on on the whole process. So I mean. <laughs> I, you, you learn about this shit, right? So, yeah. I, I like technically speaking, either you serve a claim or you're, you're served a claim, mm -hmm. right? So, that's how it, the whole process starts. Yeah. You've got a contract, you signed it, whatever, there's a dispute. But even in your contract, there has to be a clause in there where you mediate first, yeah. arbitrate, and then litigate. I think a good contract would have that. Yeah, yeah. And you, it's smart to have that clause yeah. in there because now at that point, even if there's a dispute between you and your client, yes. you as a GC, you try to mediate mm -hmm. 
right? And if that doesn't work, then you try to arbitrate. Yeah. And if that doesn't work, then all of a sudden you serve a claim. And I wonder, I wonder if there's a way to bar it just at arbitration and force the judgment at arbitration and prevent it from going to court entirely. I don't know. I'm sure the construction lawyers they would know better. They probably than I. would know it better at that point. I, I wonder if that's an option because that would be a good option, I think, to keep costs down. So what happens if you get a client who completely ignores the contract and ignores the mediation, ignores the arbitration, and goes right to litigation? Well, I mean, you can you can do that, right? Because you would turn you around can do and say, anything look, in the law, right? Like you you, can you would turn around and say, look, in the contract, you were forced to mediate, you were yes. forced to arbitrate in yes. this order, and then go to go to a court if the right to appeal was there. Yeah. Right. And the good thing about this is these are alternative dispute resolution mechanisms. Yes. So it's there to deliberately make sure that you don't run up the cost in the long run. Right. If you get to that meeting sometimes and you would know better than I, it could be a miscommunication. That's all it is. Right. And that's what mediation does. Good mediators will help you come to the common ground and be like, oh, OK, this is what you meant. Right. And they, uh, there's actually stats about this, about how you can actually s settle these kind of proceedings at, in mediation prior to actually moving on. And then if it doesn't work out for whatever reason, arbitrate, arbitrate, arbitrate it. Uh, now you've got a third party coming in and tell you, listen, play safe, play yeah. safe. Everyone figure out a minimum yeah. ground. So right? arbitration, this is good. It's a I think this is an important thing to know. And what it is, because everyone sees it, nobody knows what it is, right? Yeah, like yeah. the average person doesn't know what an arbitration is. Like I'll be frank with you, right? I, at least I don't think so. I didn't. I didn't before I went to law school. I didn't know what arbitration was, right? I barely knew what mediation was, right? Yeah, and that's yeah. just based on my parents trying to mediate between me and my brother. <laughs> like, <laughs> that was your first inkling to mediation. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I've been mediating all my life, yeah, right? right? <laughs> exactly. And you grow up with siblings. It's just an <laughs> <laughs> that's mediation, right? But it's funny. Is you're right. That's exactly how it yeah, is. Yeah, arbitration. It's it's think of it like court, right? Think of it like court. You have an arbitrator who acts like a judge, right? One party presents the case, the other party presents the case, and, but the and the arbitrator makes a decision. They're not trying to help you meet a middle ground. They're making a decision. Yeah. But you're not in court, so it's and and the rules of evidence are relaxed. Everything is a little bit more relaxed. It doesn't have the same standard. Now, the construction industry could be very different. There could be very specific arbitral because they have specific arbitral courts for specific industries. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So the rules of construction could likely be very difficult. I would advise because speak to a construction lawyer. I don't know. This no, stuff. no, no. But it, it, all <laughs> we're doing is we're just like, I yeah. want to throw all these terms out there. So anybody Absolutely. who's listening, they can go listen, go do your own homework, yeah. speak to a, a lawyer and just get these conversations going. Yeah. On. And I think it's a conversation to be had. And I would, I know there are construction specific arbitrators yeah. in the same way. There are like employment specific arbitrators, right? that deal only with these things because it's a specialized area and they deal with and since they they only deal with these matters and they see both sides yeah. of the argument yeah you can you can't tell me like early on the show we were discussing about um you know the, the glue thing uh, you were mentioning uh, that on property brothers I think it yeah was, yeah yeah spot right? bonding yeah, yeah spot bonding yeah. right and you know what that entails versus you know you know what ought to be in an independent contractor agreement or what the industry standard is these are very specific to the construction industry yes right i couldn't tell you about yeah. that i wouldn't know yeah right unless i've actually been you know practicing as a lawyer for 10 15 lawyers you know or x amount of years and of oh, studying this then i'll know the good thing about arbitrators and focused arbitrators they know this stuff. Yeah. They know what a good independent contractor clause looks like or, or, or agreement looks like. They know, you know, they understand the pyramid, right? They understand all the contractors, the subcontractors. They understand that pyramid yeah. well, yeah. right? And that's the kind of expert you want. Even when you go to court, I'll be quite frank with you, not all judges would know this, right? Because they have varying backgrounds. 
right? You have, your lawyer would have to explain it very clearly, succinctly, and explain why X, Y, Z is the case. The good thing about an arbitrator is this is all they do. That's a good point, man. Uh, actually, I just want to share it with other people. So if you're going through that whole process, so you serve the claim, you got the proper procedures of serving it, and then all of a sudden they have to submit a defense or you submit a defense, yes. and there's the, the transfer or submission of affidavits on both sides, and then you get into discoveries. Yeah. So discoveries are basically interviews, I guess. Yeah, it's kind of like, <laughs> it's kind of like, uh, God, this is police interrogation. Yeah, it, it's it's funny. <laughs> it's like you think about you think about trial, right? And it's like an audition before trial, right? Got it. <laughs> you you kind of test the witnesses. You're like you have a discussion, you know, kind of you know what they do. You go through, I guess, um, discovery and figure it out what do they call it in uh in the u.s deposition or depositions something? yeah i think they're depositions yeah, yeah. I, so you go kind of go through that and you know kind of rehearse and the, the idea behind it is so when you finally get to court you have an idea of what the witness is going to say and you you yeah. measure this strength of your case which is why you know as you progress further on you figure out the strength of your case and that's why things settle right because you're like oh okay i got nothing yeah. or, or like i got a really good chance yeah. right someone's gonna Someone's going to cave. So by the time it gets to court, like you're thinking you have a pretty good chance. Like both sides are probably thinking that, right? Unless like one side is particularly spiteful. But yeah, by the time you get to court and even when you get to court, <laughs> like witnesses can go rogue. Of course. Because <laughs> right? you like, don't know what could happen after that. Oh, no. Because you, 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 there's rules on how you deal with your witnesses. Yeah. Right. You can't tell them what to say. No. Nope. You know, you can, and how they're going to speak. You can tell them what they you know, discuss, but you can't give them like a script or anything yeah. like that, right? Yeah. Like you can't. And so they can they can go off, and you know, a good lawyer might you know through a very very thorough cross examination just absolutely decimate them, right? It's interesting, yeah. So after discoveries, you got the mediation and then arbitration, and then after that, you finally go to trial. Yeah, and then when you're in trial, it's a it's a whole new ball game. It's going to be similar to what you kind of saw before, but to, to your point, loss of life, right? Like that stress. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, the only reason I express this is because I, I, I like I've experienced this shit. And yeah, I imagine you have. You've yeah. been what, like 15 years. In the 14 years in yeah. the business and, and I've experienced this shit and, and it's just like. What was yours like? How, how did it go? Uh, I, the small claims was um, was interesting and, yeah. and I won the small claims. What was but the amount, if you don't mind me asking? It wasn't a lot. I was asking for 25, and I ended yeah. up winning four and a half or whatever. And then the you only actual. Won four and a half? Yeah. And, really? And, including court costs. And then uh, also, the defendant didn't pay the full amount. And that's when I quickly learned that I called up the court and I yeah. said, they haven't paid the full amount. Yeah. They've only issued a check for a partial payment. And the court said, we're not responsible for the, the court costs or the, the amount. Yeah, you would need to. So now you got to go back to court to yeah. get that remaining amount. And yeah. so you quickly learn that they did that on purpose to mm -hmm. think that you'll just forget about this and don't bother me anymore. Yeah. Right. So it's just like you go through that and then you also have conversations with other people, other C's and GC's. Yeah. And then you start quickly realizing what they've gone through. Mm -hmm. And the number one thing that they bring up when you have a conversation with anybody that's gone through this is that stress factor huge and the older you get and the longer you're in this game you just cut it out as a loss exactly exactly because you're you're a 50 year old person or a 60 year old person and you're like thinking 
okay, pandemic two years. Anybody that was, I guess, 50 plus in the pandemic just realized I just lost two and a half years of my life. Yeah. I can't travel. When we were already planning to go to mm -hmm. away somewhere and enjoy mm -hmm. something, I lost those two and a half years. Done. And it's the same thing with litigation and construction and, and irate clients or whatever, a bad yeah. situation. And you start going, I, do I want to lose it? And you don't. You want happiness. You want peace at that point. No, absolutely. So it's just, it's just, it's just easier to let it go away. The more and more conversations I've had, I've met bad lawyers, I've met asshole lawyers, I've mm -hmm. met lawyers that have actually, you know, they've done things that they're not supposed to do. <laughs> you know what I mean? I've, I've, I've a lawyer call me up and make uh, threats. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which is technically speaking for the really? so law society, wow. that's grounds for disbarment. You know what I mean? Like you're that's not crazy. allowed to do that, right? So it's just, and I get it. It's all mm -hmm. tactics. Yeah, that's it's so it's it's back to the poker game. Some some guys like to try and play hardball. It's funny, <laughs> but where does it really get you at that were point? You, were you represented when they called and made threats? Just curious. Yes, you were represented. Yeah, yeah. They can't talk to you without. Uh, I know, <laughs> and th and this and, and it's currently with the Law Society of, of Ontario. Good, beautiful. The only shit thing is I never I never recorded it. <sighs> that's the shit Damn. thing. But. You know, I mean, like, let's see what happens. I don't have a lot of faith in the Law Society of Ontario, but they still have to review it. Yeah, they do. Well, but I mean, it's almost like internal affairs reviewing their own, right? <laughs> so it's, it's... Yeah, I'd like to see, I'd like to see what happens with that. Uh, yeah, no, that's, that's not, uh, it's not, it's not appropriate. I it's mean, not appropriate for any lawyer to do no. that. They shouldn't have done that, but they did it. You're not allowed to talk to someone else's client without... Without you know, their the representation. Lawyer. Yeah, without exactly. their representative's permission. Exactly. Let alone call your mobile device. <laughs> so it's 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 a hundred percent tactic, and I get it, I understand it. But that's that's what I mean is that there's there's shady look like the it's the same thing with construction. There's shady contractors out there as yeah. well, and uh, unfortunately, the TV has kind of magnified that, which is not the norm for the yeah. entire industry, right? And I, I just I don't like that. So they do it on purpose. Yeah. Like, because I guess it's, it's a car crash. It's rubbernecking. Like, people are more interested in seeing the negative than the positive. Like, we don't want to hear about Billy found his dog. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's a boring story. We want to find out that Billy's dog got run over by a semi, and yeah. now Billy's crying on the highway, and he got hit. Like, we want to Sensationalize it. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. it's the same thing with, like, those kinds of situations. But all we really want to try to do is that all these young guys, that, that, that first threat, they're mm -hmm. freaking out that I want to start a business. I pump so much into this business. Yeah. It takes one bad client to sue me, yeah. and then I'm done. Yeah. And then you got to figure out, okay, are they going to sue me, corporation, personally? Then they take away this, take yeah. away that, and then all of a sudden, definitely listen. Definitely incorporate uh, that. I'm comfortable 100%. saying. Hundred percent. Definitely incorporate. I had a conversation with someone uh, this morning, and we were discussing, you know, all the liabilities included with being a sole proprietor. It's dangerous, especially in the construction industry, right? There's so much liability. It's way right? too much. Forget, forget just yourself. Think about your employees, right? Yeah. Because this is, there's entire legislations on workplace safety and all these other things, right? You, as as an entrepreneur, as an independent contractor, you got to protect yourself. Even above your insurance, they can still go after more, which basically means where they're going to get that from? Your house, mm. your assets, your personal assets. So it's all kinds of got to be cover. Very, gotta you got to cover yourself. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And incorporating is a very good start to that. I think I got a lot into, um, like, I mean, I covered quite a bit. Is there anything else you wanted to share a little bit about? Or? Yeah, I wanted to ask you about uh, what your HGTV show would look like, man. It'd be a fair representation of the construction Hell industry. Hell yeah, it would. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be a realistic, honestly, like, I've, I've had so many, I've had so much fun. Yeah. 
on a job site. And yeah. and like you, you probably have your circle of colleagues of that you get along with. Of course. And you guys joke with and you have your banter. It's the same thing in the construction industry. Yeah. We all find our circle. I call it a circle of construction. We find our go-to people that we like to work with. Yeah. And we get on a job site and the jokes are shared and there's that yeah. camaraderie and all of a sudden you're having a good time, you're enjoying it and everyone's achieving their scope yeah so you got the electricians come in the plumbers come in the finish everybody comes in and you're joking around you're talking and then yeah. you're 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 car jockeying because you got to move cars if people are blocking or whatever mm -hmm. and then you're sharing a toilet and it's just it's like it's fun it's engaging so i don't see why that wouldn't be something that could sell because i could see a, I could see a show construction life yeah right where you've got you know your gc going from project to project you know you know, watching in real time how it works, how the electricians come in, how the plumbers come in, how the work actually gets done. I think that's fascinating. It's been pitched and it's been denied. Really? And my argument, I guess my assumption is that TV producers, first of all, don't know shit about construction. Mm -hmm. They just don't know it, right? I've already been told well, over not, and over. It's not their job to know. They, it's, it's not Their job is to yeah, tell a story. Exactly. To create a story and tell a story. Yeah. Right. The problem is that when you call yourself a reality show, you want to have a little bit of reality in mm -hmm. the show. Mm -hmm. These producers will always say production trumps construction. <laughs> so it doesn't matter that this is right. Yeah. We're going to do it this way because this is easier and better for the production. So you start having resistance at that point. Plus, the other thing is that the whole idea of having a construction life show, let's say, where yeah. just like how you just described it. They don't want to control so many different entities. Yeah. They want to control one person. That's why you see one person as mm -hmm. a host or you mm -hmm. see a sidekick, which is a designer. Or it's a husband and wife yeah, team. Yeah, That's yeah. why that formula is constantly the same thing because you can control those two people. Yeah. You can't control a team of contractors. Like it's literally a team of bulls in a china shop. Yeah. That's the problem. And the thing is that it takes, it takes the GC not to control them to understand them and to work with them. And then you capture that. Yeah, as far as structuring that, I think you would have your GC. You would have, I I, I would assume GCs have their go-to electricians and plumbers. Totally. They've got those guys. For sure. Yeah, I think you vet those. You vet your team. This is like obviously my high-level thinking of just like how I would think about it. I think you, you vet those so you understand who they are, what they do. Power of editing, you can you know edit as needed, right? But I feel like they throw in a little bit of spice in there. You'd have to. <laughs> you, you, you'd have to. It was funny. Back in my film days, I, I, I'm a huge fan of uh, the, the movie Money Pit. Never I'm watched a, it. You never, never watched, watched Money Pit? No, no, no. Tom Hanks, 1980, I'm going to guess 86, 87. Tom Hanks is in it. It's probably gold. Tom Hanks and Shelley Long, and, and they're in New York, and then they say that we got to buy a house. We have to buy a house. So yeah. they, they buy this house, and it's a lemon. It's a lemon, right? <laughs> so the whole movie is about them trying to turn this lemon into something, right? But then there's a lot of resistance. But the, the crew that comes in there is they're constantly saying, how long is this going to take? How long is this going to take? And every the GC, the plumber, everybody's two weeks, two weeks, two yeah. weeks, right? So when I was in my film days, I had this idea where wouldn't it be funny if you actually did a sequel or something similar in modern day where you created a story and it's, it's a reflection of what's going on in the construction life right now. Mm -hmm. I said, wouldn't it be interesting if every single trade on that job site was of a different nationality and background. Oh, that'd be cool. And they couldn't really communicate other than the language of construction. 
for argument's sake, let's say you have Jamaican. Oh, they don't all speak English. They all speak different. So you'd have Jamaican <laughs> speaking Padawa, right? And all of a sudden, you like you get Irish guys with their accent. <laughs> you get the old school Italian guys. You get all these guys that, but they they communicate construction wise, and they can still get along with that communication. But when it comes to culturally speaking, yeah, there would be this, and that I think it would be a beautiful reflection. That'd be of hilarious. It. That'd be hilarious. That'd I mean, be like I, you. You <laughs> could see the humor right there. I get. I could see how fun that you could. You could have some pretty funny stuff happen there. But that's a reflection of my construction life that's who i have i have i have middle eastern i have iranian i have italian i have portuguese i have irish i have jamaican i have like you know everybody's there everyone's got their own language but when they come and i've seen that i've seen that they all have their own language but when it comes to doing the job they speak the same language oh my god i know i've had guys come into my parents house like they uh, i think they did like when i was in like i was out of the city but they came he came he could barely speak english but the job he did was remarkable. That's the show. But you can't get a producer to wrap their head around that. They yeah, just don't get it. Yeah, but I imagine so that that type of show, I think that would be really cool, right? Because it's representative, right? It's got that diversity element. It's, it's been pitched, man. <laughs> oh my god. You know, and the, and the sad thing now with the streaming what's going on when like did you, When did you pitch it by the way? Oh, I pitched it years ago. You know they're starving for content? Like I, I just, already know this whole content uh, conversation. What I the? they they can't find enough content. If you can go out there right now and shoot a construction show and hand draw it and hand it in as a flip book, they'll take it. It's just like they're dying for it. But the problem is that the productions that are making it, they're also nervous about doing something that's new because then they have to work harder. So they rather just revert right back to what's yeah, what the we, existing formula. Exactly. And, and then we want to get it. that on board. But yeah. what I love about the streaming services right now, what's going on with the, the Netflix, I'm sure, I don't know if you've seen, they're they're on track for losing 2 million subscribers, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. They're actually feeding right into the whole blockbuster model, which they thought that they were king. And all of a sudden, <laughs> anybody who's read Mark Randolph's book <laughs> understands this, right? But you're paying attention to Netflix. And it's funny is that I personally have canceled my Netflix account. Mm-hmm. And I did it because... The content was crap. Oh, 100%. I grew up on Netflix because of House of Cards and Manhunter. It was good. House of Cards, all the way up until the last season, was amazing storytelling, Manhunter. Like, they had really good content. Netflix built their platform based on original content. Yeah. It wasn't like Disney Plus where they just repurposed everything and got it out there, right? But now Netflix content sucks. It just sucks. So I said, forget it. I canceled it. And that's after they raised it so many times over Mm -hmm. the last year. Just in Canada and the U.S. they raised it. They haven't been raising it outside. Just Canada, U.S. They got it up to twenty dollars, right? And then the whole thing about they're trying to clamp down on how many people are using on the same account, right? So they're on track this quarter to lose two million subscribers. It's making them nervous, right? Yeah. Now they're pulling back on content. Now they've been making crappy content, mm-hmm. and now you can't even pitch new content because they get nervous about it. So it's the same thing with HDTV. Same thing with everything. There's a reason why HDTV doesn't have a streaming service. Yeah, I think you produce quality, and and then the viewership will come. I hundred percent, but there's a whole process. He's like, honestly, there's a whole process of getting produced. Yeah. Like you can't knock on Netflix's door and go, I've got an idea about a multicultural construction crew that's going to build these beautiful homes. We can't talk to you based on their current content. You would think that's exactly what it is. I I totally understand. I totally see it, man. But that's, that's the funny landscape. So it's like, you got to wonder that there's a little bit of luck on finding the right person to find Kevin Bacon to get into that six degrees to actually get it in there. Or you just go the other route where you just make it yourself. Yeah. But that's a different challenge. Yeah. And then the the challenge with that is getting the capital to be able to pull that off. 
right? Get the capital, get the team together. And it's never a guarantee because what if you no. do get the capital, you make the show. Like, I mean, if you start looking at some of the HGTV shows, like whatever, Mike Holmes shows, I think he was bringing in two and a quarter per episode. Oh, was right? he? 225000 per episode. Yeah. Right? He was making 26 shows per, per season, and that's how much money was being made. But now it's probably even higher at that point, right? Yeah. But then there's also, this is Canada, so you've got tax credits, and that, and that's where the production teams make all the money in the back end. Yeah. They, they produce the show. They deliver the fact that it was shot here in Canada. It was produced by a Canadian. It was directed yeah. by a Canadian, written by a Canadian. Yeah. You get all these tax credits, and now you get a big check from the government, and it comes yeah, to yeah, you, yeah, and yeah. that's how you make your profit. Yeah. So there's a whole machine yeah but you'd be wondering like you're watching stuff and you're like why is it the same thing over and over oh, and yeah. over it's all because all the monkeys that have their hands in the 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 approval jars yeah are not letting any other new monkeys come in mm -hmm. to try to get that approval yeah that's the sad part of it because i i like, listen i've been approached so many times there's dozens of guys on social media that I think would be perfect for TV. Yeah. And a lot of those guys have reached out to me to get my opinion about what should I do? How should I be prepared? What should I look out for? And I've told them, I told them the truth, man, just be aware of the, the 12 month that turns into 18 month shopping agreement contract where you're not yeah. allowed to speak to anybody. Yeah. So they'll tie you in over and over and over for the next three, four years, and you may never get a show. It's the politics of it, right? It's just the politics of it, right? So yeah. I just said, be careful about all those things. But the thing is, I think what happens is a lot of people that are social media influencers have been approached, but they've been given a bad deal. And then they look at the deal, and they're like, I don't want to do this mm -hmm. because it's the same show. And they probably think, I'd rather do a realistic representation yeah. of a renovation show. This isn't my job. This is exactly. <laughs> this isn't so what that's, that's the reason why. So that's why I have a gripe with HDTV and I'm sure that like you've seen litigation shows and all kinds of stuff and <laughs> you get, the, and everybody has that. I'm sure the doctors look at Grey's Anatomy and go, this is ridiculous, right? Like, yeah. Is it true? Or is it not true? Whatever. So I have yet to see the only realistic renovation show out there, in my opinion, is this old house on PBS. It's okay. been going on for 40 years. Really? Yeah, it's five guys just like building in New England. 40, 40 years with a representative show. Wow, yeah. wow look, sounds and, like and it's and working. They, and they, <laughs> exactly. But you can't tell that to HGTV. They don't understand it, right? <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, to be fair, the legal stuff, like I completely understand. I wouldn't want to watch an hour of what I actually do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's the sad thing is that I, I actually enjoyed the legal stuff. Like I'm a huge fan of like I'll watch certain films and certain TV shows. Oh, super exciting. But the more that you learn about law and the more that you get into yeah. your own personal litigation, yeah. it's like I, I hate watching it now. Yeah. It's like I can't stand like that whole environment now, which is a shame. Yeah, I think there's elements of, well, on the legal aspect, there's elements of it that are really exciting. The deal making, the bringing in clients. For sure. Oh, man, the cleverness. Could... Like the, just oh, yeah. the way you handle, like in my opinion, litigation, like the law, is really about how you can communicate a solution. Absolutely. Like one side versus another side, mm -hmm. how you can communicate a solution to get to a certain point. Yeah. That's what I find fascinating. Judges at the end of the day are people. And if you can clearly communicate your case, advocacy is so important. Yeah. It doesn't matter how well written your factum is. I've spoken to clerks, you know, who have served for judges and worked directly with them, said you would be surprised at how much those testimonies and you know the way the lawyer makes their submissions makes a difference in the judge's eyes yeah huge. i believe it i totally really believe huge. it huge even if you know perhaps the law isn't very clear 
on what a certain matter is or things like that. If you can clearly communicate, it makes a huge difference. But as far as repurposing, yeah, I see it. Like, look at Food Network. Everything's like Hell's Kitchen now. It's the same Everybody's thing. Like competition. It's the same thing. Everything's a competition sort of thing, right? But everybody's looking for content right now. There's, there yeah. is like, there's such a demand for content. It's insane. But the problem is that everybody's just throwing everything and they're hoping it sticks. But I think, you know, what would the coolest thing about a, a show, you know, as much as, you know, the the element of like, okay, this is a realistic view of exactly what construction looks like. I think one of the coolest things in me and what I love seeing is the end product. I want to yeah. see all of that, right? Yeah. I want to see I want to see how did how do they build it, right? Like what are they considering? How did you get to that point? Yeah, and I think I think a certain narrative needs to be around it as well. Like, okay, why are you doing it like that? Yeah. Like why? What can go wrong? Yeah. What can go wrong if you do that? That's where the explanation right? is in my show where you start actually going in and diving in and trying yeah. to figure out and how we can go in and go, sure, there's a low barrier wall. We can move this in a blink of an eye. But to <laughs> that a homeowner, that's a big thing, right? <laughs> the load barrier I know. Wall. It's over and over. I know. I know. I just, I stopped watching that stuff long, long time ago. And then all of a sudden, there's actually a couple of companies in Toronto that specialize just in load barrier removal. No way. Yeah, they'll come in and they'll just do that. Serious? Yeah, engineer wow. it and everything, get it all done and do it. Because like you said, they've perfected it, just like small claims. They just come in, they know exactly how... There's, it's not rocket science. Like once the, once you get an engineer on board and they sign off on it, it's it's pretty straightforward. Yeah. Dynamics that are attached to that task. Yeah. Right. But when you get a homeowner, they start sweating and freaking out, and a lot of designers don't really understand it either. Right. The, they some of them totally get it, but most of them don't. So they start <laughs> to get nervous about it, and then it and also then you get the fly by nights. Yeah. So you get the contractors that may not know exactly how to do it, and then they'll do a bad job, and then now that gets you guys involved yeah because that could be serious right oh, you need to know what you're risk. doing you need to know what you're doing right of course <laughs> man isa this has been a really good conversation dude i really appreciate you sharing so much we've had a pleasure a, like a gambit of stuff talking about here i, I it's like uh, write your letters to me i won't read them i don't care if you guys <laughs> if you guys are upset by all means write your letters to me but again please reach out to him if you guys have any questions or if you guys need any uh corporate law at this point right yeah, corporate, commercial, or primarily my areas commercial. of practice. Yeah, corporate and commercial. Uh, I do some esports as well, so that's fun. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. It's a lot of fun in that area, too. I'm uh, trying Re to do things differently. So regalia cool. Law, right? Regalia? Yep. www.regalialaw.com and then ESSA at regalialaw.com. I got one last segment to share with you here, which is uh, called the 12 questions of construction, but we'll go the 12 questions, I guess, of law. Sure. See if it helps. That, that, that makes a little more sense. What is sure. your favorite law word? Oh, um, that's a good question. Favorite law word? What's your favorite <laughs> law word? I don't know. Uh, or legal word, I guess. Say promissory. Promissory is a fun one. That's a good word. Yeah. That's Estoppel good. is good, too. I like that. Too. <laughs> <laughs> what is your least favorite legal word, law word? Least favorite law word? I don't know. I don't know if I have that one. I don't no. think. You don't have one? Fa like? Least favorite law word? Yeah. I don't know. Injunction? Eh, no, not injunction. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I have one. Mine these days is affidavit. I can't stand that word. Affidavit? <laughs> yeah, injunction is kind of boring. Injunction, yeah. yeah it's okay. an exciting thing, but a little bit of a boring word. <laughs> what turn, what turns you on about the law? 
Turns me on about the law. Yeah. Rainmaking, man. Love bringing in clients. Really? Yeah. Going it. after them? Yeah. It's not, it's a part of legal practice, like, you know, running a business and that side of the law. Yeah. Just the thrill of the hunt. Love it. That's good. What turns you off about the law? <sighs> um, gotta be super an amount of paperwork sometimes. There's a shitload of Yeah. It's just, it gets, it gets an, you know, it's not it's not irritating. Like if you understand what the general purpose is, like you can get by that. But it's it's a less exciting part. Let's be real. Like I think I think it's not. It's not the glamorous part. No, it's the part they do the, the you know the the music in the background and the shows. <laughs> <laughs> the time lapse. Yeah, the time lapse. You know, eight fast, hours becomes yeah. like thirty seconds. <laughs> see, now I can't watch those show the, the same way anymore. <laughs> You'll see it when I. When I, when <laughs> I, you know I know what exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> um, we haven't been really cursing here, but do you have a favorite curse word or a phrase? <laughs> I try to uh, I try to avoid it. If you don't curse, you don't I curse. Try man. to avoid cursing. We'll avoid that one. What is your favorite vehicle in the world? Anything. Ooh, got to be Lamborghini. Which one? Anyone in particular? Uh, Diablo? Uh. You're going back to the 90s, eh? Yeah, that was a nice one. I'm actually a Countach boy myself. Ooh. But then even the Joppa before man, that. Man of class. Uh, there's a rumor that oh. they're bringing back the Countach, eh? Are they? There's a rumor. Someone's done a prototype. You know what of the newer cars, what I like? I like the Porsche, um, the Porsche electric car. I think the Taycan. The ca- uh, ty- uh, Taycan? Taycan. Looks nice. It looks nice. Really nice. Uh, least favorite vehicle in the world? Hyundai. <laughs> anything, anything Hyundai. <laughs> you know, there's certain cars that just show up on this list, you know, man. I got, a, I got a real, real funny story for you if you What's want for that? like one minute. Yeah. So my, my dad is a big anti-Hyundai guy. I think he sold a Hyundai to someone and it kind of broke down and the guy got really mad at him. Like while he was driving sort of thing, right? Like super dangerous. So anyway, after that, I think negative association with Hyundai, I never bought it. So if my brother and I ever wanted to get kicked out of the house while younger, we'd bring a Hyundai home. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, when we, um, <laughs> when I was growing up, I knew it was a Korean car. The way he was going about it, I thought it was a North Korean car. Until I was older, I so knew. So the whole time you thought it was North yeah, Korean car? Yeah, it was a North Korean <laughs> brand, right? <laughs> so it turns out it was South Korean. They had no but, issue with South Korean brands. It's just like, you know, that's, that's the way he funny. was going about it. That's what I... <laughs> I'm old enough to, to remember when Hyundai was first, like the auto industry oh. came into the market. Really? With the Hyundai Pony. No way. Which was such a horrible car. <laughs> and then they tried to, to try to class it up with their sedan, which was the Stellar. Oh, yeah. The Hyundai Stellar, which was just another horrible car crash. <laughs> it was, but then now they started getting a little bit better. I think but, they have gotten better, but I, you know, I don't want to be disowned, so I can't. <laughs> <laughs> what is your... Uh, I guess this is going to be a little odd, but I guess... Uh, yeah, what is your... Um, what lawyer or legal sound or noise do you love? Legal sound? Yeah. Like a sound or noise. A sound or noise. You know what's cool? I think I think it's cool when you know you're told to rise in court. Yeah, I think that's really cool. Everyone pay attention. Yeah, every you know, all rise. The judge comes yeah, yeah, into yeah, the yeah. court. I think that's cool. That's interesting. I think that's cool. What uh, what uh, sound or noise do you hate? Legal sound. Legal sound. Yeah, it's a good question. Legal sound. What kind of legal sound? I don't are know. There? That's a good question. I guess it I depends know. if you're a criminal and the gavel. I don't know. Yeah, I was gonna say maybe <laughs> you know, the world's. You know, um, you know. I find. No, I find. Yeah, I guess I find in. I guess we'll go back to litigation. I find in favor of whatever the that other sound. side. That would suck. That sound. I don't know. <laughs> uh, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? You're still young to shift gears. 
Yeah. Oh, this is going to sound weird, but I'd love to go into venture capital one day. I think that's yeah. uh, really exciting. Yeah. Love, like personally, part of the reason why I'm practicing what I'm practicing, I love building build businesses. Nice. And a lot of what I do, there's a lot of legal business crossover. Yeah. I'm not just like a lawyer at the end of the day. Like I actually act as a business consultant as well to help people scale their businesses. Nice. So I would I like love that. to do that maybe full time. What profession would you never like to do? Oh, God. My wife's an accountant, so... Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's not a very exciting job. I'm surprised I married an accountant. <laughs> <laughs> She's going to hear this? No. Yeah, oh, I don't care. She knows it. <laughs> would it be an accountant? Yeah, I think... I think Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. I, yeah. Don't, I don't think I find that very interesting. The last question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Welcome. <laughs> That's it, man. That's all you need to <laughs> the hear. The last thing man. I would want to say is like, leave. <laughs> yeah, and I, and you're, you're two floors down. Uh, no, Issa, thank you very much for being on the show. I really appreciate your time, man, and oh. taking it. Actually stopping by when you saw us the other day and we were setting up oh, and dude. just got to meet you. And it's good, man. So. Oh, yeah. I can, you know, I can see, you know, you're an excellent host. And oh, thank thanks, man. Yeah, Appreciate it. I've been getting a lot of compliments lately. I don't know why, but. <laughs> I love your shirt, by the way. Oh, yeah. For those who can't see, he's got uh, the Batman shirt. This is my Batman shirt. Man of uh, good taste. Well, I, I, I wouldn't say it's my favorite Batman. I'd just say it was, it was an interesting Batman. Did you watch the recent one? This is a recent one, yeah. That sorry. was good, but I didn't think he made a very good Bruce Wayne. I've had, I've had my arguments before where it's just um, a lot of films that are being made today are just knockoffs of yesterday. Yeah. And gone are the days of actually being original. Oh, God. I, 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 I just can't stand it. So then when I watch a new film like The Batman, yeah. I remember that in that movie. Yeah. I remember that in that movie. And it's just, I would love to just see a lot more originality, and um, it's not there anymore. You know what I thought was good in the original? Uh, have you watched The Kingsman? I love The Kingsman. I think, I thought that was original. I even was, was original, like the, the third one, I still was entertained by it, because yeah. I'm also a Matthew, I'm a good Matthew Vaughn fan, Yeah. way back in Layer Cake days, yeah. you know what I mean? You watch those films back then, and, and you start seeing some really good originality, yeah. and, and Matthew Vaughn is that kind of guy, yeah. kick-ass, you know what I mean? He does yeah. those kinds of stories, right? Which is original. Yeah. There's not a lot of originality being taken. Everything these days. else is a remake. It's just everything's a, a remake. It's a rehash of everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, can, we can have an entire episode well, just about this. The whole <laughs> and I've had some people because we've talked before on the show where I brought up the films and we start talking about certain things and all of a sudden they're like, oh, yeah, I kind of like that. You guys weren't talking construction. I kind of like that. It was good. And I was like, yeah, but I mean, we'll we'll see what happens, man. Oh, man. Listen, I've been in that industry too. You've been in the industry. Yeah, I know. You you, talk yeah, I'm sure you have a lot of stories about it. that stuff. So <laughs> I, I've had it in the back of my head thinking like honestly about doing another podcast where I was just talking about entertainment and shit. Oh, but that'd be so much fun. That, that might get me into a world of trouble because because I'll just be very explicit <laughs> about it, right? So but. Uh, that'll bar you from ever having your show. <laughs> <laughs> that's the beauty of a podcast. Nobody can really shut us down, man. So yeah, isn't it? it you uh, have to find us and listen to it. I love I love the freedom of this voice. It's, good, it's really it's cool. Let's get out of here, man. Thank you again so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me.